Hey, it's Dave here from the Mentor Podcast, and I'm just introducing episode nine um, with Carlos Klein. A bit of a background for this episode. So it was recorded uh, about a week ago, 10 days ago, in Spain, in the gym at uh, Henzo Gracie, Spain, in Cambrils. Uh, it's in two parts. Um, did it on a, I think it was a Friday and a Saturday. You might get a bit of distortion or a bit of uh, background noise. I think the cleaner was going around on the first episode, and the pill coming and going in the second. But I think it's a fascinating episode. Carlos is somebody that I could spend literally hours and hours and hours talking to. He's fascinating, and I think you'll really enjoy it. So whether you're a jiu-jitsu guy or not, I uh, hope you enjoy it, and please feel free to leave some feedback. All the best now. See you. Bye. Hey, good morning, and welcome to the Mentor Podcast. Uh, this edition of the podcast, I've got a guest, and with me today, I've got Carlos Klein, who is the owner and uh, head instructor of Henzo Gracie, Spain here in uh, Cambrils, uh, about two hours south of Barcelona. So uh, welcome to the podcast, Carlos, and uh, how are you doing today? I'm perfect. Fantastic. So like every podcast, we'll start the same. Tell me uh, where and, and when you were born. I am born and raised in Newark, New Jersey, uh, 12, 24, 77, so I'm a Christmas Eve baby. <laughs> and... Uh, I still have my home four streets down from where I, I was born. Wow. I never left my neighborhood until I came to Spain. Yeah, okay. So tell us about your family, mother, father, siblings, etc. Uh, my mother is an English professor specializing in English as a second language. She is a uh, born and raised Manhattanite, <laughs> uh, 100% New Yorican. New Yorican is you are 100% Puerto Rican but born in New York, mm -hmm. so the joke is always, you know, what part of the, que parte de la isla, and she will say Manhattan. Uh -huh. <laughs> My dad is the son of a steel worker from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. They actually met after he left Vietnam and went to Inter-American University on the island of Puerto Rico, where they were both studying, and reunited back in Newark, New Jersey, when she was teaching and he was working. Okay, so how would you describe your upbringing? Do you have brothers and sisters to kind of around you? I, I have one sister. Uh, my upbringing, I was an inner city kid. Mm -hmm. uh, Newark, New Jersey is a city. It's the largest city in New Jersey outside of New York. We're about nothing, 15 minutes away. Um, I didn't grow up in the hood. I'm not a ghetto guy, but we're inner city, mm -hmm. inner city kids. Yep. Uh, my neighborhood was predominantly Italian, changing over to Puerto Ricans, mm -hmm. and then Dominican Cuban. I'm from Forest Hills, Newark. Uh, I grew up. I, I grew up very lucky. I had. I mean, we might have had a hundred, two hundred kids in my neighborhood, mm -hmm. and we were a close knit community, and we were, we were the youngest. My my group of kids were the youngest, of our neighborhood. Which is pretty neat because the older brothers and the older sisters would care for us in the sense of, you know, I'd be out and they'd say, hey, no, hey, Mrs. Klein, I got it, don't worry. Mm -hmm. So even as a young kid, I was playing and running around later than I should have, but because I was with John's older brother, Nick, or James's older mm -hmm. brother, Angelo, or, or Yari's older brother, we called him Chipmunk, <laughs> with Chipmunk. 
Georgie's older sister. So it was, it was, it was a neat way to grow up. So like a strong community, and is that because it was all kind of migrants? Is that kind of tightness about? Yeah, it, everything think? was. Yeah, everyone was like, yeah, my 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 mom is first generation Puerto Rican. Mm -hmm. Now my dad is American American. Yep. Uh, Klein derives from Germany into Ireland, where it was turned to C L I N E. But C L I N E is the American version of Klein. My yeah. dad's like tenth, uh, twelfth generation. Yeah, okay. You know, uh, you know, he's got some mixed in Ukraine, some Eastern European. Uh -huh. But but overall, my my dad is a is a steel belt American guy. Uh, but the neighborhood I grew up in was, yeah, first-generation American kids. You know, like I said, it was Mr. D'Angelo, Mr. Picatello, Mr. Perez, yeah. Gomez. And they were both, but most, my neighborhood was workers. They worked on Port Newark. Yeah, okay. So they were all hardworking people. And um, because we were all of the same age and... Forest Hills has a park, so we, we, I grew up real unique, so we could run around yep. like maniacs, had older brothers and sisters that were taking us out. It was heavy sports-based. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of guys playing football in the streets. We played a lot of stickball, yep. Yep. basketball, you know. Um, then you run into the park, and we played these. I, what I really remember being a kid is these massive games of manhunt. Oh yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, massive games of manhunt in between all the sports, and then walking to school with that group because there was a middle group that was in junior high school. Where we were in beginning of elementary. Yep. yep. So then we would we would be walked to a certain point, and have to walk the three yeah. blocks, you know. So grow, growing up like that, it's pretty was, cool. Was pretty cool. Yeah. And then. You know, Newark's a tough city. Yeah. So it, you walking. I mean, I was also growing up in the, in the crack band, uh, yeah. pandemic. So now all of a sudden you're walking to school. You're seeing strung out. You're seeing teachers. Yeah. You know, I'm going, oh wow, check check this out. What yeah. happened here? Yeah. But that sure. that that the beginning of molding of my life was really an awesome experience mm. because we had also, you know, this podcast about men, but we had awesome men. Yep. My dad's a man. Yep. Even my kids will look. Grandpa's real serious. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask you about yeah. that, your relationship with your dad. My, my, my dad's a serious guy. Mr. D'Angelo was a serious yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, Mr. Perez, Mr. Suri. These were hardworking, yep. but men. Yeah. You know, like, like I, you, you were never looking at them. And, and then you had Mr. Guarino, who was a cop. Yeah. But he was, a, a, you know, when you, when, you, when you look back on it and you're going, hey, that, that, that's a cop. Yep, yep. You know, he wasn't a TV guy and a cop. You know, no, that yeah. guy was a cop. Yep. <laughs> and um, that was in my neighborhood. I grew up on Tiffany Boulevard and Tiffany Glass and Silver from Tiffany's mm -hmm. and Company. So also the neighborhood there had a lot of factory workers, which made, again tough which yep. was cool but 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 growing up that way was unique yeah you know and and then my neighborhood was divided by a train track 
So even though we were in Forest Hills, we were this little section, and we it was it was it was, it was it, I I will never complain about my child. I had an awesome childhood. My mom and dad, uh, I mean, my mom is Dr. Evelyn Marquez. My father has a master's degree in sociology, but ended up working for the phone company right. with his military background. So uh, education was always stressed. Mm -hmm. Athletics was always happening. And I, I, had, I had a good upbringing, you know. I think I got into enough trouble of a normal kid. Mm -hmm doing silly nonsense, running around. And it was, you know, my relationship with my father was, 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 I was raised by a, a, a dad who never, he never imposed what he was doing. Mm -hmm. You know, he was, he was a very good football player. Yep. And then Vietnam came. He was a, a United States Marine, went over, did what he did. Doesn't really talk about what he did. Done. Came back, went back as a comm tech, communications technician. That I know a little bit of about. Yeah, yeah. And what I do know about over there was he had a group of guys that every year would meet up. Yep. And when they would get a little saucy, mm -hmm. stories of them coming out. And For me sure. as a little kid wouldn't really understand that. Nice. But it, I, what I do know of what he did over there comes from, yep. from that little bit. My mom... <clears throat> my mom is a 100% New Yorican, <laughs> proud Puerto Rican. Um, that's why she named me Carlos. And yeah. you don't see on this podcast, but I am, I am white, as <laughs> white as milk. So I grew up, I grew up in, a, in, in the city with a name like Carlos being a white boy, which is okay. Um, she is 100% what a Latin mom would be. Mm -hmm. You know, feisty, but pushing for their, her, her kids to be the best they could be yep. and not tolerating nonsense. Yep. And she didn't want to hear no, can we curse on this? Can we? Oh, right? curse oh yeah, yeah, okay. She didn't want to hear no bullshit. Yeah. There was, you couldn't bullshit my mom, yep. you know. And uh, from a young age, that's, that's what it was. And when I was excelling in sports, they guided me without pushing me. Mm -hmm. And there was never a moment of like, you better do this. It was, well, if you want to be good at it, you yeah. got to practice at yeah. it. If you need help, yeah. meaning, hey, you need to get driven somewhere for training or something like that, then we can work something out. But the bulk of it was yeah. you go walk and you go do it. You get on your bike and you go and you make it happen, which is a statement in our area, yeah. New York, New Jersey. Make it happen is a real yeah real attitude it's a real hey go make it happen it's a hard balance as a parent anyway to kind of you want your kids to do things but at the same time you don't want to end up pushing your kids into something they don't want to do because it just ends up giving up anyway so that balance as a parent is so hard to say you know put the effort into what you want to do and we'll support you and that's what it should be but too many a lot of parents are yeah you're going to do this you're going to do that blah blah, blah and yeah it doesn't I, work yeah i um yes and then I, I just, uh, and I, I had a good group of friends. So my good group of friends, which was an eclectic group because mm -hmm. we had guys that were like myself, super athletic. I had nerds. Mm -hmm. that, like Johnny D'Angelo was a nerd. I love him to death. He was a nerd. You know, the guy we, we, we spoke about, Al, 
Dr. Lapis now was a yep. nerd, hundred <laughs> percent. You know, he played his sport, but he he was he was he was goal oriented, educated oriented. Then I had Chris Gomez that hated school but could fix anything in the, under the sun, and is actually owns a he's a he's a mechanic, and owns and operates a garage specializing in Mack trucks, right, long haul long haul yep. trucking. You know, and all of us, all of us. I, I, you know, because even Sammy, Med Sammy Medina became a lawyer. I, the, I, I can't think of too many people. You know, James Garino became a plumber. You know, we had these these group of guys that were again hard working, and as we got older and our lives started to move away from being neighborhood kids. I think one of my, my, my looking back on it as now as an adult, I got lucky that, that we didn't have any losers mm -hmm. in the sense of like, I don't want to do nothing. Yep. Where even if they weren't going to college and playing something or getting educated on something, you know, Paul, Paul Icecamp became, uh, became an art professor. Wow. Here's, he, it's off the chart. I, I, right before I left, I, I saw his brother, uh, Eddie, it was a while, and I, I, was a, I was a professional doorman in nightlife. And Eddie came up, and I hadn't seen Eddie in probably 20 years. And I look at him, and we're older now, and I go, where'd you go to school? And he looks at me dead face, and he goes, <laughs> Ridge Street School, our elementary school. Wow. And I said, holy shit. But he actually told me that Paul ended up getting a, a gla glaucoma. Mm -hmm. And for an artist to lose his eyesight must okay. have been, yeah, just, just, just because yeah. I brought that up now. Yeah. But he, Eddie, is a, is a lieutenant in the fire department. Might even be retired now. Yeah. The Fonseca brothers became firemen. You know, like our, 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 group, of, our group of guys all, all went on to do pretty cool things. And uh, that, was my, that was my childhood. Mm -hmm. And then expanding because New York is a city, so we went to high school there as well in New York? I ended up, my, my parents ended up getting divorced. So I ended up, he, okay, watch, here's a wild story. Yeah. <laughs> There's a town called Nutley. Uh, it's a suburb town of Newark. When Tiffany Factory closed down, the, con the contractors that came in and were building the condominiums and the townhouses were these heavily influenced Italians, mm -hmm. okay? And there's a guy named Joe DiVicenzo. He's a county freeholder in Essex County, amazing guy, amazing, amazing man. I'll always give him credit. Um, he ran inner city baseball. Mm -hmm. And these contractors used to watch our street games. And they were like, wow, these, these are really, really good athletes, you know? We were, when my parents got divorced, by the hand, I, I also believe there, there, is, there is a God. If whatever God you want to call it, whatever steers your way, you know, Viking lore says that your path has been chosen before you were born. Because there's certain things that just add up in a moment that shouldn't add up. 100%. And um, because I played for Joe D, these contractors... Knew Joe D because you, he was a powerful man in the county. Mm -hmm. Joe D lived in Nutley. 
Now watch this. <laughs> there was called Pizza Town Pizza in my neighborhood. Lou was probably the oldest of the oldest of the kids, and it was his pizzeria. Yep. All right, but he lived in Nutley. So when my parents got divorced, Joe D and these guys in Lou's apartment building in Nutley moved me so I can go to high school and play for a better educational system, a better sports program than the inner city. So I ended up finishing high school in Nutley, which was a pretty neat experience because the friends, the friends that I had there were actually through their fathers. So I was, my, my nickname is Los, which I actually got from Mr. Luzzy, but I played with his sons, Mike and Anthony. Yep. But because I knew the dad from playing street ball, yep. it was a unique experience for me there. Mm -hmm. And then I had played those kids because when you, when you, when you, when you win the city league, you gotta play for a county title. So you, then you do play mm -hmm. these kids from Nutley, from yep. Belleville, from these places. Uh, and I ended, up, I ended up at Nutley, which leads me to what, what this is about, another really positive male role model in my life where my dad left for two years. Whatever the situation was, and I don't speak to them about it because when they got divorced, my mom was devastated. Mm -hmm. And as a, as a kid, you don't know, you don't have an idea. No. Forget that, no, you don't have an idea about what love, what love in marriage, what marriage and children, mm -hmm. what, what it actually takes yeah. to hold this together. 100%. And, and, and me being married now and having kids and having ups and downs, understanding w what that takes. And I told my mom, I was like, well, fuck them. That's as simple as I could take it. Because I took it as, well, if he wants to leave, then fuck him. Yep. I don't not love him, but hey, yep. fuck him. Yeah. <laughs> you see things as a kid. I, I see it as a, as a teenager, preteen, because yeah. they, they, they were 12, my year of 12 turning 13. Mm -hmm. That's a rough age anyway. So to, to go through divorce as well, that would be, that'd be tough for a kid. And him leaving. Yeah. But I, I, I still had my support group yep. of my guys. Yeah. What ended up happening, where, where I, and I use this in my family. I met, her name was Trisha Olivo. And I use this story here. I might even told you in here. And I met Mr. Olivo. Mr. Olivo was a all-American Football player, tackle position, defensive tackle, which is a front line for those who, who might not know, and was a all-state wrestler. Mm -hmm. Went to the University of Arizona, which in the United States is uh, what we call Division One, and there's a level of Division One that you say the Power Five. Arizona State's in what they call the Power Five conference, the big the big conferences, and he was an all-pack, or was, at that time it was called the WAC the Western Athletic Conference. He was a two-time <laughs> all-conference football player. I mean, serious, he, athlete. serious athlete. And he was part of that higher echelon of Italians in my neighborhood. 
we'll call it the Sopranos. <laughs> that that's real in my in my world. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's real. Yeah. But I. I, I, I didn't know him, so I'm at football practice, and they, they, they bring the legend of, of Sal Olivo in. And he's explaining form tackling, and he actually breaks the tackling dummy. Wow. I mean, his technique was pristine, pristine and he just he delivers the blow, the fucking the spring snaps off. And that was my first introduction to Mr. Olivo, this, this monster of a man. I'm like, holy shit. All right, well, cool. Year and a half goes by, summer is coming in, and a um, friend of mine, Rob Carey, who I still talk to to this day, TCBY was the, the, the yogurt shop. He says, man, there's a, there's a chick in there, and I really like the chick, and, and I'm going, all right, well, man, you know, and I, for some reason, I, I, I know the reason why, but I always, I always liked the chase. I always loved the chase of the chicks. I did, you know, growing Growing up, I can go into that at another point of, of you know, finding women and knowing yeah, this, you know? We'll yeah. And um, he says, man, I want to go in there, but I'm shy. I can't talk to her. I said, oh, man, get pussy, motherfucker. I'm going to go in. And I walk inside. And I start talking to this girl. Hey, how you doing? What's going on? Blah, 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 blah. You know, the, the, the nonsense that you, the best game you got at, yeah. at 15 years old, yeah. 16 years old, whatever I was. And... Uh, she gives me the number. I go. He goes, that's the wrong girl. I said, well, man, I listen. Now I'm going to really look like an <laughs> asshole going in this. So that's on you, man, if you can't do it. And I don't think nothing of it. We start uh, double sessions football practices in August where you practice two times a day. Yep. And one, about two weeks, three weeks into it, I go into the pair of jeans that I was wearing that night, and I find the number. I said, man, you know, I never, I never called this girl. Hey, how you doing? What's going on? Hey, listen. And I was totally honest. I said, hey, I haven't worn these, these pants. And football practice has started, and I've been kind of preoccupied, but I'd, I'd like to see you. Hopefully, you, you know, two men. Oh, let's go. And, you know, you, you do the yeah. pizza and the movie deal. Because Nutley, Nutley's a great little town. It's, 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 you know, it's a great, it has a nice downtown, has their town movie theater, has their pizzerias, has their little, you know, it's, it's a nice town. And she says, I live on uh, this, this address. I said, all right, great. I said, uh, I'll come pick you up. I'll come walking in, no problem. And I always, not that I wanted to dress nice, but I never wore sneakers to wear sneakers unless I was playing sports. Yep. I always had shoes. Yeah. And I, even to this day, a, a, a polo shirt or I, that was just how I, how I, how, I don't know if I was how I was raised, but it was always like, hey man, look, look, my dad would be like, look sharp. Yeah. You know, if you want to play, you, you have your throw around, what he would call kick around clothes. Yep. You got your kick around clothes, but hey, if you, if you ain't kicking around, yep. there ain't no reason to look like, like, like a bum. And, and that's just stuck. Okay. And I walk inside this house and, and the mom, hi, how are you? And, and this is when the shit hit the fan for me. I said, hello, I'm Carlos Klein. I'm here for Trisha. She says, hello, I'm Mrs. Olivo. I went, well, well that's, a, that's a coincidence right there. Like, how to, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, and they have this beautiful home. And I walk down the hallway, more of a foyer, and I walk in, and there's, he, you know, it's got to be the same in England, Australia, 
Mr. D'Angelo had that, they, they have a chair. Yes. There's a sofa, there's yeah. a love seat, but there's a chair. That's yeah. his chair. That's yeah. where he sat. And I, chair. Right, you know, like, yeah, Absolutely. my, right, my, yeah. you know. And, and he walked in, there he is, and I see him in his chair, and he's staring at me. And I said, well, hello, Mr. Oliver, how are you? And Mrs. Oliver says, hey, you can sit down here. I said, okay, thank you. And I said, I'm here to pick up, <laughs> I'm here to pick up Trisha. And he stared at me. And for a half hour, he didn't say a fucking word. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and the only, the only phrase that came out of his mouth, the only words that came out of Miss Oliver came out, she's like, would you like a glass of water? And as I was about to answer, he goes, he doesn't want water. I said, no, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and I sat there, and I was like, hey, you know, uh, you know we're, looking, we're looking, looking pretty good this year. You know, uh, you know, got some college scouts looking at us. <laughs> and I'm just, and he's just staring at me. And I mean, like, the aura of, of, of just death. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, you, you have three daughters. I have a baby daughter now. But I, and I sat there, and she came down, and I, she said, hello. And I said, hey, how are you? And he goes... Curfew's 10 o'clock. I said, no problem. 9.30, she's here. <laughs> and I hand to God, I had her on the porch yep. at 9.30. And I said, hey, thank you, good night. And, uh, and, and uh, I was like, oh, man, how the f what, what did I just do here? Trisha was super smart. Trisha actually became the head of musical education from Morris County, another county. She went to the University of Indiana. She was a concert pianist, could sing. She was in the state choir. But she was super, super smart. And I really enjoyed talking to her because here she grew up in a suburb with a dad who's a serious guy. Yep. Not only as a man, but in the realm of what we talk about, yep. Sopranos, yeah, yeah. he... You know, his company was called Blue Ribbon Oil and Fuel. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting her with her one day, and I was like, do you never find it odd that like no one in this area can, can buy other oil? And she's like, well, it's because my dad has the best prices and he's a loyal, mm -hmm. and, I, and I just, and I realized she didn't know. Yeah. And, I, and, and I go, that, that's awesome, yeah. that's awesome. But I ended up dating her. Yeah. For, for the last two years of high school and, and, and having interactions with him, how he held himself, how he carried him as the man, as the matriarch, as, as this is my home, this is my family. Yeah. And then he had other family with him. Yeah. He had two brothers yeah. and, and, and there was a, a, a nice-sized family, an yeah. Italian-sized family. Yeah. And he had this amazing business and other thing, other endeavors. Um, but I, I, I really look at him on how I do my family mm -hmm. and how he had his two sons and his daughter and, and how he, well, I know now, was going through what the ups and the downs, because on... And on paper, they looked amazing. And Mrs. Oliver was a school teacher. She yeah. was an amazing woman. I love, she was from Arizona. That's where they met. Um, 
you know and 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 he was a major influence not because my dad wasn't there but it was pretty neat to have somebody you know that was holding it together mm -hmm. as i got older i realized having friends that had come back from iraq hey man if you if you did what he did there, there, wait a minute there's, 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 there's other things and I don't knock him for it yep. he, like again he doesn't explain it to me he, and that's okay yep. the only explanation he ever gave on that was we were watching Hamburger Hill mm -hmm. and uh, out of nowhere I was nothing years old and he just looked at me with a cold stare and said I want you to know I was never in a battle like that and I said, okay, Pop, no, hey, I don't know. And he goes, I want you to know I was on an attack a shit ton of times, mm -hmm. but I was never in a battle like that. And I said, ah, okay, hey, okay. So if that played a part into whatever decision he was, mm -hmm. you know. So I, I, I never faulted him for leaving. No. I just kind of looked at it as, oh, fuck it, if you want to leave. Yeah. And then, and my dad's a man. Like my, 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 you know, you tell a joke to my father, and he goes, yeah, that's yeah. a good one, Dave. Yeah. You're like, yeah, shit. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, so that's what you get. Yeah, yeah, like that's, yeah. that's the best you're getting, yeah. you know? I won, I won um, when I was fighting MMA, I won uh, what was called, it's still there, it's still a pretty big organization. It's called the Reality Fighting Championship. I won their, their heavyweight title. And we were in the back. And Henzo is there, and we're all there, and, and, and my team is there, and I, and I won. Everyone won that night. The five of us won. I mean, it's just a, it's a really high moment. Yeah. And somehow my father, and this is at the Atlantic City Boardwalk Hall. It's a pretty yeah. big arena. And somehow my father gets into the back, you know, because he, he has Jedi skills. Mm -hmm. And my father is bigger than me. You don't know. I'm, I'm 6'2", 270 pounds, you know. Yeah. My, my dad's got me by two inches. He's just this... this He's got presence, you know, he just walks yeah. in. You know? yeah. And this is my dad. This is my dad to a T. I say, hey, man, we won. Bro, hands was here. We're going to have a good time. We're going to go to the bar and, and have some fun. <laughs> and he looked at us. I mean, but to the man, looked at us. Yeah. He goes, what makes you think I want to hang out with you assholes? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, well, if you don't want to hang out, no problem. But I mean, that's my, yeah. that's, that's my dad, you know? Uh, you know? You know, so I, I had that, and I have a lot of my dad in me. Mm -hmm. But having a Mr. Olivo at that moment was, was pretty neat. Mm. Because I, have, I, had, I always had amazing coaches. I, I got lucky with my coaches. Another guy, Mr. Tordo, played uh, football at the University of Maryland. Uh, was on the practice squad of the New York Giants wow. and ended up teaching to see if he can continue his career. And then as he got older, he yep. just kept teaching. I had um, Coach Gargiulo was my baseball coach. And I was always a hard worker. But he, he was streamlining what hard work should be. Hey, man, you're working real hard, but we got to work hard and smart, which was really stressed to me. And having Tordo who was this bull, you know, this tough, hey, he was a center. Center is the position right in front of everybody. Yep. You snap the ball, you fight every play. Yep. He's, He's every yeah. place, you know, so his mentality. But 
they were influences in on on how to polish what I was doing. Where I look at Mr. Oliver like, hey, I'm, if I'm gonna be a man. And then I met a kid named Brian Packen, who I still talk to this day. And Mr. Packen, I was a little older when I met Brian. We were in high school. We happened to be the best first basemen in the state. And uh, he lived about an hour and a half away from me. So colleges didn't know that we were, even though we were in the same state, they didn't, they didn't realize that how, how close we had become. Because our competitiveness, our competitiveness to beat each other out came at such a level of mutual respect that it wasn't about, I'm better than him, he's got to be better than me. It was about, okay, motherfucker. Yeah. Today we're here? Let, yeah. Be, because there was two other guys, and one guy actually ended up playing in the big leagues. I actually signed with the White Sox. He signed with Tampa Bay. He went on to the University of Connecticut and holds almost all the Big East hitting records. Wow. Yeah, yeah, Brian was serious. But there was, it was never, it, it, and it was intense. Mm -hmm. It was intense because our teams were good, yep. we were good. But we, we had this, and his father knew it. And the first time I go to his house, and his father's a very well-off businessman, Sister was Courtney. I walk into the house. And this is where me and Mr. Packett. And uh, I knew Brian's sister from, from games and mm -hmm. from, from things like that. And I should point out, at one moment in my life in summer, me and Brian were with each other every day because we were being scouted by these teams. Yep. So we would get to these tryouts and we were together all yep. the time. And I get to the house. I'm like, wow, look at this fucking house. You know, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I grew up in a hard-working my mom became doctor of alarm kids older in life. My father was an AT&T worker. My mom was a school teacher. I, and I grew up in an inner city. I, well, no means was I poor. But I mean, hard workers, hard work. Yeah. You know? And it's different. When you meet someone who is business successful, who's making this, you, you walk in, you go. And I walk into his house. And if you're familiar with the game of Clue, I said, wow, Mr. Packett, the butler did it. <laughs> with the rope in the garden <laughs> and he started laughing at me but Mrs. Packin came out and Mrs. Packin is this wonderful woman she reminded me a lot of Mrs. Oliver she says Glenn Courtney has been upstairs with her boyfriend and uh, it's been too much time they said they were studying but it's been too much time and I look over at Packin because that's his sister I go, well, Pac-Man, get, you know, get the fuck up there. But, but, but Pac-Man is this, this gentle giant, you know. He's just very well dressed. And he looks at Mr. Packin. Mr. Packin, I go, no problem, Mr. Packin, I got it. <laughs> I walk upstairs, and I push open the door. I go, hey, look, motherfucker, get out of here. And I drag the guy out the house, throw him down the fucking steps. Hey, look, motherfucker, when you come here, the parents, and I'm just, I'm just scolding this, this kid, and she's younger than us. Yeah. We're, we're seniors in high school. She's like a friend. Look, cocksucker, you know, get the fuck out of here, man. And Mr. Packett started laughing, and me and him had this moment like, oh, okay, I could dig this. And um, he had told me, he had taught me something that always stuck with me. He goes, hey, if you're the best at what you do, you're always going to make money. Because I had asked him, I said, hey, like, you know, what, what's going on here? Yep. What's up here, man? How'd you do this? 
you know, like hey, this is beyond, you know, hey, you're 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 hey. Yeah. And he explained that he he is in sales and importing export. Now the business and I didn't know anything about. I was oh, okay. But ultimately he was like, hey, look, man, I tell Brian the same. I tell Courtney the same. If you're the best at what you do, you're going to make money. And that has always stuck with me. Even coming here to Spain and going, okay, I'm I'm going to open up. You know what I have, mm -hmm. and I mean this is a professional setup I got, and I've teamed up with a with a with a CrossFit where you can get your strength, your conditioning, your 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 striking, your jujitsu. At night I have MMA. I mean I I I got a total pack, and not many yeah. gyms in this country have what I got because hey I wanted to be the best at what I do, and I study on on how I do it. Same when I was in nightlife, I was a bouncer. Again, with a lot of men who taught me a lot of great things. But when I realized there was money to be made as a profession, I became the best bouncer. I got to a moment that I said, well, wait a minute, bouncing is great. But if I'm a doorman and with my bouncing abilities, I can do two for one. I'm already saving you money. So I can ask for more money because you don't need to have what you need at that door. And, and I took that. And I was able to retire at 40, you know. But that, those, those two guys, when I was in my, my, my teen years, you know, I look at and I, I, always, I always look out and go, hey, man, you know, thank God I had those guys. Not so much steering me, but just, just being there, being that presence. Yeah. And if you could go back and talk to them, hey, you know, I, when I got married, I talked to Mr. Packer. Hey, Mr. Pack, what's going on? Hey, you know, hey, what's going on? And he would actually visit me when I was working because I, I brought in Brian into nightlife and he now owns two amazing lounges in Manhattan. I mean, he's at Lounge 48, which is right in Times Square. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you're, you know, just Google it, look at it. You can see who goes and who shows. And then uh, he bought what was Stone Rose. He changed the name, which is in Columbus Circle on the eighth floor overlooking Central Park, Trump Tower, Columbus Circle, Times Square, where wow. drinks are like $25 a pot. <laughs> God bless him. I love him to but, death. I think that lesson of doesn't matter what you do, but just be the best of it. Be the, it's, and it's he's the best. I, I, I use that all the time. And I tell... I tell you know, you know, it's it, the two things I really look at is, hey, do what you got to do so you can do what you want to do. Yeah. And I stress that to my kids a lot. Hey, man, I, I wasn't the best student, but I knew what I had to get done. Mm -hmm. I knew I would pass and then I could go train and play yep. and do and, and have some fun. But I had to get what I had to get done. And if I could focus in on getting what I had to get done, then I could focus in on being the best at what I wanted yep. to be. Yep. And if you have that, you, you, you can fly a little bit. You there's know? always a cost. You know? There's always a buy-in. Whatever you want in life, there's a buy-in. You've got to do some stuff that maybe you don't want to do first. But that's the route. But you've got to do it. Exactly. you just got to do it. And, and, and People want to avoid that these days, but in reality, that's the journey. A hundred percent, you know, and, and, 
it, it, to me, life is I, I, well, my census. <laughs> I was one of the, the many people that put down uh, for my job when I was a real doorman. They said, what's your profession? I said, provider of needs and wants. I, I was a doorman for the largest strip club company in the United States. So I'm providing a need for what you want. And then in my religion, I put Jedi. <laughs> you know, I, I believe wholeheartedly, you know, hey, you know, if you know anything about Obi-Wan Kenobi, hey, these are not the droids you're looking for. And then Yoda, hey, yeah. there is no try. There's do or yeah. do not. 100%. And it's not about doing it and getting it done. It's about you should, you should do it. And if you can't do it, Learn from why you couldn't do it. Because it's okay if it didn't work out. As long as you were doing it. If you tried, I tried, and you know what happened when I tried, and then, no, but you weren't doing it. You you should be doing it and trying everything possible to do it. That's what try is. Not, hey, I I, I threw my two cents and I tried. No, and, and, you know... That's how it's, that's how I kind of. You have to ha- commit. Commit, yeah, full state, basically. Yeah, know? man, you know, and that's that's how it is, you know. That that's that's a brief little bit of of how I started coming and I, my journey, and then having the last but not least heavy real romance was was Al's father Gus, who was as serious as a gangster as it got, who. I, I, we could do a whole podcast just on <laughs> Gus. I mean, the, 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 the shit that he pulled off, it, we still laugh and we joke about it, but he, we called him a Sith Lord. I mean, he was serious. He was so serious that when... He worked... He, he got out of the Greek Navy, worked for the Onassis Company on container ships. He was able to make enough connections at the ports and make enough money that he had his own empty container on the ship. So every port he went to was filled with things that you would need in Australia. Mm-hmm. And then the Australian would put it in because now we're going to go to, to uh, I don't know, Malaysia. And then from Malaysia, and it was him. And not only that, inside that container, he had a Stingray Corvette. So everywhere he had, <laughs> he had his Stingray Corvette. Okay? That's real. That's real. And then what ends up happening is he, he ends up coming to, to New York and in, in, in Newark area. And with his connections, he starts a lunch truck company. Real deal lunch trucks, kitchen, it's this thing. And he, he makes his empire. You can still go to Newark to this day and you can see the remnants of Athens Lunch Truck Company. Because he had sold them off to people. People have sold them off. And you can still see in a faded blue the Athens line on the paint. You can still see it. I mean, he he had an empire on it. But to deal that and to deal with the people he was dealing with, he had to be a serious hustler. Here's two stories that, that sum up the man. His best friend, when he was in the Navy, he said, look, Leave Crete, come with me to the Navy. And the guy jumped in, they went, they toured the world. When he went to Onassis Shipping, he says, come with me, we're going to see the world. 
When he got to America, he says, look, leave, come with me. We're going to start this up. At that moment, his name is Jimmy. His real name is something else, but the truck, was they called him Jimmy. At that moment, the speed of where we live is is too much. You know, you're going to New York in, in, yep. in a couple of times. You'll see what it's like. But he said, for whatever reason, he said, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to Ohio. And Gus said, okay, you work, you pay the truck off, you take the truck out to Ohio, at least you have a job. And he goes, yeah, okay. And they made that deal, and then some toward a time, Jimmy left, packed his family, all his stuff in this lunch truck, and went out there to Ohio. Jimmy, at his lunch truck location, grew to the point that he made an actual truck stop. It is now the largest truck stop, okay? He went to, the, he went to either Ohio University or Ohio State University, got his master's degree in business administration. Okay. Then opened up a real deal Greek cuisine restaurant now, when Gus, Mr. Lapis, when Gus passed away, at the funeral, he showed up with his thesis. And he told Al, he said, I got my master's degree in business administration, and all I did was copy everything your dad did. Here it is. And then the thesis name is In Gus We Trust. <laughs> That is a true story on his matchbox in the restaurant and in the, in the truck stop. Yeah. It says, in Gus, we trust. On the menus, it says, in Gus, we trust. Now, that's a great story of a man. Gus was a playboy. Yeah. All the stories I know of Gus being a playboy comes from Mrs. Lapis. Because <laughs> Mrs. Lapis said, I met a man with experience. <laughs> So already you know that you're the Mac if your wife is telling other people about your sexual exploits. That's how Mac you are. You know, like that, that's, that's other level shit right there. You are the man. Let's just be real. When your wife is explaining, hey, listen, I had to fight other women off my husband. and I could, Okay. On one of the trucks, Mrs. Lapis is working. Mrs. Lapis was beautiful. She's still beautiful as an old lady. She was beautiful. She said, but... And I call her mom. So Ma was working on the truck. And this guy says, you know, you can deserve better because Gus is cheating on you. And he's cheating and he's cheating and he's cheating. And And he explains on how he's doing it. So she comes home and she looks at Gus and she says, hey, listen, I know you're cheating on me because you do ABC and one, two, three on Tuesday, Thursday. And Gus said, who told you this? He didn't deny that he wasn't cheating. He didn't care that she found out. He said, who told you? So over the course of this argument, she finally lets out that this guy says it. He goes, okay, no problem. Next morning where they have the garage, he has a bucket of ice water and his pistol. And he sees the guy, shoots the guy in the leg. The guy faints. He draws the guy, splashes the guy with water, wakes him up, shoots him in the foot, splashes the guy with water. And he goes, man, basic, here's basic what he's saying is, bros before hoes. Hey, man, yo, why the fuck? If you want to fuck my wife, then you, you fuck my wife on, on how you can do it. But don't try to snake me on what I'm doing. I mean, that's another man conversation. 
I ain't mad at you because you want to fuck my wife. I'm mad at you because you're ratting me out using it trying to fuck my wife. Like, that's a, duff, that's a wild way to think, man. And he's not shooting him because he's trying to mack his wife. He's shooting because he got ratted out. Hey, that, that, that. that man at the funeral showed up. <laughs> so I am, I am online with 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 Al and the sisters, he's got three amazing sisters, and this is Lapis, there's the coffin, and Al nudges me with the elbow. He goes, do you know who the fuck that is right there? I go, no, I have no idea. He goes, that's the dude my dad shot. <laughs> so that's how, that's, that's respect. So in the world of, I want to be a man, woman, dog, cat, I, I, listen, these are the men in my life. Yep. I had a serious dad who is still serious to this day, I had Mr. Olivo, who was this amazing, strong, presence family man. And then I had Shady Gus, who could get you anything and anything under the sun, who, who could sell, you know. And I have more stories with that guy. One of our, here's Gus. One day, we come downstairs to their house, and he's in this beautiful suit. It's like this dark purple, I mean, sharp-looking suit. Mrs. Lapis is looking beautiful i mean they look um, he was a good looking guy and i said man gus you looking sharp and with a dead face he says i hate these people so much i only wear this suit in funerals and i want the death to go on the wedding <laughs> you know it's just like that's that's who he was and you're going but i mean he's to the nines to the nines. And I mean, we, we just, that's, that's, oh, I, I guess I can go on for hours about Gus. <laughs> hours on just shit. We just sat there and I mean, you know, but here's another dude. Strong mind, work hard, be the best, do what you got to do and shut the fuck up. And all three of them, you know, for, that's what they were. You know, my dad is just no nonsense. Hey, maybe listen, shut the fuck up and go do it. Mr. Packin, hey, go do it. Be the best of what you can do. Mr. Olive was the same. And Gus was just on another level. <laughs> like, okay. Everyone knew exactly where they were with those men. There was no kind of like... There was gray, no gray area. Gray area. Zero. Exactly. Zero. Zero. You were... You <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I mean... The difference with Gus was his, he was just this, you could, the other men were these men, but like, you're going, I remember, I remember watching the pirates ambushing uh, uh, the pirate. What, what, what country were they from? Somalia, Somalia pirates and, and, and ambushing boats. And I just look at Gus, I said, Gus, I'm having a hard time understanding this because they're coming up on, 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 on skimmers. Why isn't anyone just opening up? And he goes, you can't have guns on the ships. I go, no? He goes, no. I go, they ever try to rob you? He goes, yes, of course. I go, but you couldn't have your guns on a ship? I said, no, they can't have guns on the ships. <laughs> Like, but but his, he's deadpan, yeah. you know he's dead serious, oh, yeah. there's just, he's like, but I mean, that's just what, of course these motherfuckers try to come up here, and I've got to, you know, I mean, 
I, I remember we got in trouble as a kid and he hung out upside down where he hangs the, the, the deer when he would go hunting. <laughs> like that, oh, you wanna fuck around? Watch this. And I mean, I remember going, uh. <laughs> I, I mean, and, and you know, it, it was a trip having him around, sure. you know? Even when he died, like I said, I can go on for fucking eons, but he had a pacemaker. He had a pacemaker in his, in his heart, and he was, uh, he, he ended up getting uh, diabetes and the treatments and can't, he just, he, hey man, life. And he was already older, he was okay. And he was in Kessler Institute, and Al called me. He goes, Look, uh, you know, Pop passed away. I'm coming up from South Jersey where he was doing his uh, medical stuff. I said, all right, give me, uh, give me a half hour. I'll, 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 I'll take off, no problem. How old were you then? We were in our, I was late 20s. So 28, 29, because I, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, I was 29. I want to say 29. I was 29. And I get there. It's a two-part story. Watch this. I get there, and uh, he's there. He's, he's, he's calm in the bed, and uh, everyone's there. The sisters are there. And then I said, okay, and Al. And, and, and we had to be men. We had to be strong. And it's tough because here's a guy that we loved, respected. First off, it's respect. Like, hey, man, if you're going to be a man, this is the man you got to be. Look at this yeah. motherfucker. You know, it's this guy's an Adonis. <laughs> and then the nurse comes in. This is where the two-part story. The nurse comes in. She goes, uh, who is Al Keys? I said, yes, it's Al. She said, uh, he was adamant, she used the word adamant, to tell you to clean the grease traps of the truck. And he goes, listen, my dad for, you know, 40 some odd years had worked on this lunch truck and it's probably in his last of it. Now, Al, so for the record, Al is a very serious Yale-trained neuroradiologist. Al's life is medicine. And Alice is, you know, absorbing this information and explaining that it must be in the dips of, of passing away and passing on. This is his final memory. Yeah. And he says, no problem. I understand why he said it. And there was a moment that Mrs. Lapis and the sisters leave and we're looking at his dad. And I said, you know what, man? I know nothing of medicine. But your dad had a pacemaker. He goes, yeah. I go, pacemaker shocks the heart when the heart goes under uh, uh, beats per minute. He goes, yeah. I go, look how calm he is. He goes, yeah. I go, that means he told death when he was going to die. And he looks at me. I go, because if it shocked him, he'd have some sort of movement. He'd be fighting. I go, that means at some moment, your dad looked at death and beat death because he told death he was going to die. And we had this good laugh at that moment because that's who Gus was. Yep. Second part of the story. Three weeks go by, and Mrs. Lapis is in mourning, and she's on the island of Crete with the family. And this lunch truck has to go out. Al takes time off from being a very serious neuroradiologist, and the truck has to be at Port Newark by 6 a.m. So I... Say, okay, man, I'll meet you at the truck. I'll be the cooker. 
you be the cashier and we just make this truck happen because it's going to take two of us to run it and then your mom will come. At 5.30 in the morning as I'm leaving work, I get a phone call. And he goes, hey, uh, I'm not going to make it today. <laughs> go, first date? He goes, yeah, I'm on Route 7, Belleville Pike, heading in. I go, yeah, I'm leaving right now. He goes, yeah, the back of the truck caught on fire. I said, motherfucker, you didn't clean the grease traps. <laughs> he goes, nope. I'm here with the, the fire extinguisher and I'm talking out. I said, unbelievable. He fucking told you. And I could sit there and we started laughing. We started laughing. I mean, bro, he told me, he's like, you tell him that he's got to clean. That's 2,000% that's real, 100%, no exaggerated. At fucking 5.30 in the morning, the truck, the back of the truck is on fire. Because what happens is you got to turn the stove on. you got to heat it up. So on his way in, it sparked up. There's a stubbornness about a generation like that generation had a stubbornness. My mum's the same. Like Frederick's wife, my mum died in 2016, and um, she was the most stubborn person you'll ever meet in the world. Hated hospitals, never went to go to hospital. Stayed in the same house 50 years. Eventually, she fell down the stairs, broke her hip. She knew that she wasn't going to come out of hospital again. Uh. I'm in Australia, she's in England. I'm on the phone to her, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm coming, I'm coming, mum. She just, just goes, don't come, I don't want you to see me, like Yeah. So I'm coming. My, my youngest daughter is in, actually I think she's in Spain, I'm doing a job. She said, oh, I'm coming too. Okay. I don't want you to come. Yeah. So anyway, she then literally stopped breathing and died uh, before we could get there. Yeah, it's it's. I'm I'm getting that with my dad. Yep. His brother passed. I had a pretty unique experience this past Christmas because uh, my uncle Bob, who I hadn't seen in a long time, was dying, serious cancer. And um, I got there and I looked at my dad and I said, "Hey, man, I'm I'm here for ten days. Let's jump on a plane. Let's go out to Detroit where he's living." I go, well, "Let's let's let's ride this wave out." And he was like, "No, Bob doesn't want it." Bob don't want it, Bob don't want it, Bob don't want it, Bob don't want it. I says, man, who gives a fuck what he wants? But like you said, there's a generation that that's what it is. Hey, the man said no, and he's my brother, and I'm going to tell you no. Shut the fuck up. But uh, I said, all right, well, okay. But he got to talk, because now, you know, phones are amazing. So we got to do the Klein men, because there's only three of us left. Mm-hmm. At that moment, there's only three. Yeah. And I brought my son in. I said, hey, come here, this is your Uncle Bob. I said, we're the last of the Kleins. Mm-hmm. I said, you are the last. Yeah. So you got to have a boy. And we had a cool, cool thing. And, and I didn't realize how much my dad was talking to my uncle about my family and about, hey, CJ, I heard my son's an artist. He yeah. really is. Hey, I heard you're doing this and you're painting this and you've done that and living in Spain. And hey, and, and I looked at my dad like, that's pretty cool because my dad is not that dude. You know, like, hello, boy. Yes. He, he called my daughter Keely for I don't know how long just because that's what it was in his mind. It's Kylie, Pop. Keely, Pop. Okay, Pop. Yeah, whatever. No problem. Hey, boy, boy, come here, boy, come here. You know, like, yeah. 
you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that's who he is. Yeah. And you know what? On a side note, you'll never be disappointed in people if you understand who they are. And don't expect your expectations of what you want them to do. No, you have to understand who they are. Yes. And if you understand who they are, then you'll never be disappointed and you can go on about them and live in pretty cool synergy because, yeah, motherfucker, it's Keely, whatever. Yeah, you have to, yeah. You, you it, can't it, judge somebody by your own kind of but, way of being. Right, it's yeah. not, it's, it's it, yeah. Generations are different. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, it's just different stuff. Yeah. So, like, you know, it's, uh, that's, that's, yeah. So how did um, you get tied up in Jiu-Jitsu? Yeah, the other thing, no pasa nada. That's our cleaning woman at the gym saying <laughs> that the paper towel dispenser is broken and it's not fitting. <laughs> uh, how I got tied into Jiu-Jitsu, I, um, I was in sports, all the time sports. Yeah. I had wrestled a little bit and then I actually had a growth spurt. So I wasn't a good wrestler and then I got into track because I was fast and then I played football and, and it was just a circular of everything but wrestling Danny Sanborn uh, was, a, was a second baseman but he was a pretty decent wrestler so we would always have fun wrestling but I was lousy because I, I, I had shot up eight inches mm -hmm. so there was a moment that I wasn't I wasn't really yeah. I was athletic but goofy athletic and then what happened is I filled in. So, like, I went from, like, 155 pounds. I graduated high school at 205 pounds. Yep. I mean, that's 50, yeah, boys do this. 50 yeah. pounds, and then I was, I was yeah. bull strong. When, bye-bye-bye-bye. Okay. When, uh, that's our cleaning lady saying goodbye. When, um, when uh, I, I, got, I got to play baseball, because I liked playing baseball. I had football scholarships. I had things. Other, but I liked playing baseball. I actually ended up signing a contract with the White Sox playing professionally. About two years into it, a year and a half into it, I realized I wasn't a baseball player playing baseball. I was a really good athlete playing baseball. Right, okay. Though I loved the game of baseball, but I wasn't a baseball player, which is okay. Yep. But by that time, when I was calling home and I was talking to guys at home, they were like, the guys who had wrestled, who, who weren't going to university, were like, hey, man, we, you know, remember us watching the UFC? I go, yeah. Hey, look, man, these gyms are starting to come here, and jujitsu is pretty cool because you can use wrestling, but you can break arms and choke out. And there was a guy named Jerry Jones in the, in the, in the town. He had, moved to, he had actually moved to Nutley. Jerry ended up having uh, Mike Masenzio who fought in the UFC. He was an excellent coach. And he was a wrestler, judo player, you know, a little bit of a mix of everything. Mm -hmm. And we went, and we would just start going. And then my cousin Steve was with me, and we were just doing it to keep busy. When it, so that's 90, 98, 99. What happened around that time, though, word had gotten out that Henzo Gracie had gotten into New York. Mm -hmm. And the first one to go out there was Alan Teo and then Carl Macero. Jamal Patterson had taken a test. A little. Jamal and I knew each other because Rob Carey, who I mentioned earlier, played college football with Jamal. Right. 
Right. And Jamal was a real deal All-American wrestler as well. So, I, I, you know, we, we were, when we were freshmen and sophomores in college, um, I, knew, I just knew Jamal. Yep. Jamal had taken off, and then not only that, then left for Brazil. And six months into training, because I was really athletic, I ended up fighting. Now, back then, fighting was a little crazy. You know, you're going to show up, you guys are about height, weight, same, and you'd go fight. And I, I was okay. I fight, and I, I fight Glenn Sandal, who was a four-time All-American, three-time national champ, wow. coached by John Smith. His wrestling was amazing. But because I was athletic, because I was strong, I was able to survive. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, and I was telling Glenn, we became good friends. He's actually a police officer in New Jersey, in Kenilworth. He became a cop. Okay. And I said, man, you know, motherfucker, if I can get out from under you, I'd kick your ass. <laughs> because like, but his pin. Yeah. Was so strong. Is so strong. And his positioning was so strong. My cousin Steve at that moment, here becomes a circle. My cousin Steve left for Iraq. And a couple of the guys in my group who were, who became budding police officers, who were ex-army guys, got their recall, went back. Yep. So now my team is kind of, but now Macero and Alan Teo, and now that kind of group of guys. And then what ends up happening is Ricardo Bittencourt, who's cousins of Daniel Gracie, starts working in the city. So now we're working together. He opened the school in Newark. Now, by that time, I'm already back in Newark. I had already bought my, uh, uh, with my baseball money, I bought my house. Yep. So now I'm back in Newark. We're training with them. Daniel shows up, and because my father boxed in the military, so I, I got pretty decent hands. Me and him are stand up sparring because he was starting his pride career. Pride, pride back in the day yep. was, the, was the UFC. Yep. So then at that moment, I'm at Jerry's, but the team is kind of breaking up. I'm training at Ricardo's in Newark. And then Daniel, I mean, again, hand to God. Daniel Gracie, world champion jiu-jitsu player, Gracie family member, starting his MMA career. I got some, by that time I got three or four fights under me. And he says, look, man, if you're really serious about this, we got to go to New York. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm coming here to help my, my cousin's school grow, but realistically, we train in New York. Yep. And I walk into that, that Lunacy Academy, which is not what... The academy that you people know now is not what I had. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I got there, and, and there it was. My first class, or my first day, Daniel Gracie... High and Gracie, Ricardo Almeida, Matt Serra, Sean Alvarez. Now, these are, these are Gracie guys. Now, Ricardo Almeida became king of Pancrase, world yep. champion jiu-jitsu. Matt Serra became UFC champion. champion. Uh, Sean Alvarez is the, uh, from the original ADCCs who lost to Mark Kerr twice in the final, fought in the UFC. Jay Heron, who became Bellator, mm-hmm. or uh, P, I'm sorry, uh, IFL champion. We all fought in the IFL together. Yep. I ended up fighting the IFL, but he became IFL champion, fought in the UFC, fought in Bellator. Um, myself, 
Rob Constance. I'll give a shout out to Black Rob. Black Rob is now uh, Instagram. Black Rob BJJ and Boxing. Black Rob. And then Tom the Blast, who is actually Gordon. If you know anything about jujitsu, Gordon Ryan is the greatest grappler right now of our generation. His coach is Tom the Blast. My generation of guys, Tom the Blast. And all of a sudden, I was like, No, this is where we got to be. Nardu was there as well. Nardu runs. Uh, oh, Nardu, sorry, I'm blowing your school. <laughs> Nar- uh, Rodrigo Gracie was there as well. Nardu has Randy Brown, who is now 12 and three in the UFC. Yeah. You know, Nardu is amazing, amazing, amazing jujitsu player, amazing fighter, but even better coach. And at that moment, I was like, bro, this is this is where we got to be. And um, and then I, I, when I got my black belt from Henzo, he said it to me. Hey, make this your house. I got my black belt. I think I told you this. Yeah. got my black belt. And he goes, you got to give a speech, man. And I said, man, you know, so many years ago you told me make this your house. And I've been freeloading ever <laughs> since, bro. I, I, I've just been a sponge here. And that's actually how my jujitsu in a bubble came about. When I got to Henzo's is when growth and knowledge we're at the harvard of jiu-jitsu yeah and 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 absorbing and wanting to be the best being american wanting my place on the team having to fight for my place on the team winning the respect of my peers earning my place amongst them was an amazing journey it was an amazing part of my life which i have lifelong friends and 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 just but their life was intense life was great all the emotions you can have everything that you can possibly think of and everything i have in my life is because of jujitsu i cannot trace Anything, anything back from the moment I stepped in that academy, meaning Jerry Jones, meaning yep. when J- Jiu-Jitsu got into my life, because without Jerry, there'd be no Alan Teo, there'd be no Macero. Yep. Jamal was in my life, but mm-hmm. Jamal, and there'd, there'd, there'd be no crossover. Yep. And then when you get to Henzo, it just gets amplified and exploded. And I can't date anything. I can date a whole bunch of stuff before. Yep. But there is nothing that doesn't involve my life that doesn't directly correlate with, with jiu-jitsu and Henzo Gracie and Henzo Gracie jiu-jitsu at all. You know? Um, and, you know... I gotta pick up my. I gotta pick up my kids. I, you know, are you gonna be around later? Um, what is your actual schedule? Well, we'll just we'll knock this on the head for now. <laughs> because I would hate to end this way. Okay, too soon. Okay, welcome to part two of the mental podcast with Carlos Klein. We we cut it short yesterday because Carlos had to go off and pick up the kids from school. So here we are. It's next day. We've just done some jujitsu and we'll pick it up where we left off. So really. We kind of finished off talking about you starting with Henzo's and how that kind of changed you as a man and also as a jiu-jitsu kind of player. 
Well, what happened was, like I said, we were my first day. We get down there, and um, from the previous time, I named I named everyone that was down there on that first day, and and I realized that was the place to be for me, and. From a life-changing standpoint, once you, once I started incorporating us as a as a unit, as a team, you you how can I put this? It 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 gets ingrained in you, mm-hmm. and at that moment, everything revolved around that gym in a unbelievably positive way even when there was negative moments and how that changes you is or it says changing me was I was I was early 20 I was yeah I was in my early 20s 21 Mm -hmm. and you're not a kid you understand what a team format is you're a grown man you got your job I don't have adult grown men Mm -hmm. Uh, not issues, but I, you know, I didn't have kids at the time. I wasn't married. I'm, I'm, I'm doing my thing, but I am working at nightlife. What by that time I'd already taken it as a profession. Yep. Where you, 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 you start binding your life through there, and now I'm traveling and I'm fighting in other countries and competing all over the states. And Henzo, in his most genius simplicity isn't so much a role model, not a mentor, but it's this overwhelming presence is the best way to do it where you you are growing in this in this art and and being allowed the freedom to express who you are at all times without any prejudice and exploring it through jujitsu in the sense the way I really teach it here. Hanzo shows you a technique, but it's your job to find the moment to use it. And I I do that here where I'll say I I don't teach my style. I teach a moment inside a moment of a fight and within the realm of what you're doing, you you go and find it. And as you're navigating that and it becomes a philosophy in your life, you start to... navigate your life as a man using these principles knowing hey I'll always find a way hey no matter how tough this situation is no matter how much I'm getting roughed up and beat up I I, I know I'm going to do this and find my passage and find a way to do it learn a way to do it shown a way to do it but all that's part of your journey and growing that way you know, started to mold me in a different polish. 
because I already had my principles. I already had my morals. I had a good understanding of who I was, but now I'm, I'm, I'm polishing this to a shine where I can stand amongst anybody and, and have no issues with who I am and in the simplest terms, not giving a fuck who you are, giving a fuck about who I am. And at that moment, there's that mutual respect. Because if we both understand that, we're never gonna have an issue. And that's growing at that academy with the freedom of taking, we are with the, 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 the grandson of the creator of this art, where he could have just as easily said, this is A, this is B, this is C. Mm -hmm. uh, you and I spoke, John Danaher, who is also a student who has now become one of the gurus of jujitsu, gives a good four minute synopsis of the olden days with Lex Freeman on interview. And, and, and he basically stated, he's like, we could do what we wanted as long as we could show it worked. Yep. And Hensel would say, well, as long as it works, you show me it works, and if we make it work, it works. Yep. Coming from Hensel, and I was, at that, I was at the academy when Hensel was the Khabib Nurmagomedov, the George St. Pierre. I mean, he was coming off wins of Tektarov, uh, Maurice Smith, Sassanade yep. uh, um, uh, Kudren. I mean, uh, I mean, the, he was king of rings. I mean, he, he was he was he was the man. There was no, that's just there's just no winning the what was that the World Combat Championship, beating Ben Spikers and Benedict and and uh, um, for winning so, it's been so long. And to never call him master, to never have an idea of bowing, was pretty wild to have someone at that level, at your level that you know is not at your level. But then that translate in how you approach and respect and act towards others. And, and, and in that moment, that is the true essence of teaching and of Henzo, which makes him so far out. Because, you know, you're, you're actually talking, you know, uh, where they, they have the gurus, you know, like, you know, these guys who, and this guy has infinite wisdom, experiences, you know, it's just, hey, I mean, one of my, one of my favorite isms is, hey, if there's no solution to the problem, there's no problem. And if you're not intelligent enough to understand that, it's basically if this problem, there's no solution, then it becomes part of your life. It's part of who you are. Accept it, move on, and keep moving where it's no longer your, your problem. It's just part of who you are. Yep. And that's, that's, a, that's a really, really high-level way of, of dealing with things. And that's totally okay by not sitting and dwelling on, oh, man, I wish I coulda, woulda, shoulda, these type of things. Yeah. Hey, this is a pain in the butt. I can't get rid of it. Now, how do I deal with it? How do I live with it? How does it make it mine? Because yeah. now if there's no solution to the problem, there's no problem. And that's, that's, that's... Yeah, that, uh, I'm a big fan of, like, stoicism and, like, um, 
actually book on stoicism, it's called the obstacle is the way, and that is the truth. So saying if it's something's in your way, it's a problem, that's the direction you should go in. Yeah. You know? I, yeah. And, and so that's why jujitsu. And that's why I was just going to say that. That's why jujitsu is so. You and I training today, going over that you had a collar tie where I ducked under. And, and I got a basic, uh, we would call a, a, a policeman's arrest position or a policeman, yeah. I don't, you know, chicken yeah. wing, yeah. <laughs> where I rolled with, with Maxwell Arroyo getting us ready for the Europeans, and I used the same duck gunner to take his back. Yeah. So, you know, that's what it's all about. Where's the obstacle? And at that moment, his positioning changed, so I'm not going to get this chicken wing, but I'm able to slide out and take the back. To think on that in full motion knowing he's got this really tight grip, knowing I have an exit, and as I'm exiting, changing my direction for where I'm actually gonna head. Hence where we just got back. If there's no solution to the problem, there's no problem, and you make it yours. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. If, if there's obstacles that need to get done, and we talked about it yesterday, go do what you gotta do. Go do what you gotta do, part of that, you know, is, is, is understanding that you're a man mm -hmm. and men got to do what they got to do. I, want, I, I, I don't know who came up with the quote. It's been a long time since I studied and they, they said the, the apostles, the saints, the prophets weren't the best people. They were just the people who had to make the toughest decision at the toughest time. And they, they, they did it. And they, instead of dwelling on it and sitting on it and holding it, and through their belief and their faith and, and what they were going to do, they made that decision and they did it. Because you got to do it. Yep. Yep. You, you got to do it. And, and, and jujitsu has these amazing, amazing moments of how the fuck do I get out of here? How do, how do I control him so he does not get out of here? You know, you've been here now with us five weeks. You realize our philosophy is attack. We are an attack-oriented, aggressive style of jujitsu. And hey, however you want to play it, doesn't bother me, but you better be attacking. And, and figuring out your ways and your body and what you're doing, you know, Go, goes goes hand in hand with with life because life's going to throw you curveballs and ups and downs and you know having that in my life having Henzo in your life as almost like a backboard in basketball yeah. where you're not using it because you're getting swishes but you know it's there so if you need if you need a, if you need to do a finger roll yeah. he's got it and you know but you don't realize how much bigger this backboard is yeah. than the net and it's, and it's there for it's you it's always there if you need it yeah. and it's there and, and we you know you, you, you call and you you know John even said it, he goes I get texts from Hensel saying I gotta call you he never calls but when you call him he'll answer the phone I, I don't care where he's at in the world if I call him I'll get a if not a response at that moment, a pretty rapid response. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and that 
he's a busy man. He's now the minister of tourism. He's given seminars all over the world. He's an ambassador for Brazil. He's, he's fighting people on subways. And you're like, hey, man, I, I got to talk to you. And he's, he's going to hear that. He's going to say, my brother, you know, what's, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Hey, man, I, I, I'm at a moment here. Hey, what, what, what am I looking at? Yeah. And he's going to come back and bounce back some answers on you, and you go back and forth, and all right, cool. And you can, you know, it's, it's you know, he's, he's, he's just, he's an everything advisor, I mean, forget just looking at fighting and just looking at jiu-jitsu and telling you where you're going to be 10 steps. You know, just, just sitting back and, and, and you know, he's on, he's, on, he's on another level, which is, which is awesome. And he's created not only the greatest, if not the greatest, I should say arguably the greatest, if not the greatest, jiu-jitsu fight academy in the world. And then our team, and on top of our team, his students have created world champions. I, I don't know how many, I don't know many Angelo Dundee, the trainer of Muhammad Ali, how many of his trainers created. There might be, I don't know. I don't have. I don't know how many of Customato's disciples have created. I just don't, and I'm sure if, we, if they were there, they, we would know, but you know Matt Serra has created Chris Weidman, Aljamain Sterling. You know Ricardo Almeida has created Frankie Edgar and Eddie Alvarez. You're going, wow, man, that's, that's, that's wild. You know, Nard, we just talked, we talked about the other, Nardu having guys in the UFC. Daniel Gracie right now in the realm of our team as a whole is 17 and 1 in the UFC with his fighters. Yep. I mean, that's all kicking back to one guy. And, you know, in my little gym here in Spain, you know, I, I'm getting guys that were going out and competing against bigger schools and bigger tournaments and were finishing fights. Mm-hmm. I, I take great pride in that. Because, you know, you're, you're going to go fight a school. I'm in a town of 25, 30,000 people. Like you said in one of your, your podcasts, rural Spain. And we're going to go out and fight teams from Madrid, Barcelona, Valencia, Bilbao, cities of a couple million people, schools of 250 kids. And this school of now, plus my children's students, we had 80. And, and we're, we're getting guys every, every time at the podium. If not winning, and guaranteeing, in the midst of those four, three, five fights, people are getting submitted because of what we're doing, what we're practicing, and how we're doing it. You know. So is the magic of Henzo the fact that he creates an environment where people can develop themselves into into coaching rather than being so rigid? You're always trying to follow, you know, the rules. Yeah, he has a statement that he says there's more philosophy on his mats than at any Ivy League school mm-hmm. in the country. You can go to Hanzo's and you can create whatever you want in that garden. So to answer your question, the answer is yes. The answer is 100% yes, determining on who you are when you walk in. 
because the lineage is, like you say, it's undeniable. All coming out of Enzo is incredible to look today across. Look what John has been able to yeah, do. Exactly. Look what look what Ricardo Almeida with Tom the Blast, Tom the Blast to Gordon Ryan, Gary Tonin. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's that's undeniable, and I am one thousand percent sure that when Gordon and Gary uh, are are at their time where they're transitioning. They're going to produce stellar students. So you you get there, and the ability to be yourself there. You know, story Harley Flanagan of the Chromags, hardcore speed metal, hardcore. I I'm not a musician. I love. I've known Harley half my life, but he is that creator of that. And Harley, at one time of his life, was a skinhead. There was a guy, Jewish guy, that we used to call the angry rabbi. And the angry rabbi would come in every day and be complaining about whatever was going on in the world of his, <laughs> his life and his synagogue and his jewelry sailing and people owe him money. And, and he would get on the map. And I remember one day, one day, Hansel said, he says to Hansel, he goes, you know, Harley has skinhead on his hands and these people try to kill my people. He goes, well, now's your opportunity to go kill him. <laughs> and every day, every day, they fought. And when Harley got remarried, in the procession of him, the best man there who's presiding over this thing is the angry rabbi. I mean, that's just what it is. You know, none of that exists where we're from because it didn't matter at the end of the day if your jujitsu was shit it didn't matter who you were what you were how much money and who you i mean you know but it you got to go down there you got to go down there and it was it was especially in the beginning because it was killers and then the killers who weren't showing it off on a stage were there helping train killers. Then that third wave of students came in and those students, it's an, it's an amazing synergy at that moment because you had absolute killers, killers who were professionals at whatever their field was. Mm-hmm. Doctors, lawyers, Indian chiefs, iron workers, school teachers. I mean, one of the original black belts is Kuchi Frita. He's a, he's a school principal in East New York. You know, he was never going to fight. He was never going to compete. But if you play with Kuchi Frita, even though he's 53, 54 years old now, you realize you're playing with a serious dude. Because every day he'd come in and, and, and go at it. Then you had the, that third wave of students where it was this beautiful synergy because you had world-class jiu-jitsu going on with guys who were basically just under world-class that weren't competing and then guys who just wanted to train and play and learn and then there was this synergy of respect because then we knew you were there because you heard of who we were And that goes to the top of the food chain. 
But then us had to revert it back because you kept the lights on for us to train. So you would get in there and, and a Ricardo and a Black Rob, myself, guys who would hire Fabio Leopoldo. I mean, I can go on for, for eons about guys who were there. And they say, hey, Dave, come on, let's warm up. Come on, man. All right, cool. And there you are, 25 minutes rolling with a world champ, warming up, who's giving you his, his insight on what he's feeling on what you're doing. Every, and that's happening every day. And then when you were told, hey, you got to fuck off the mat because these two guys are going to go at it right now. And it wasn't like, well, hey, I pay all this money. And I sit down. It was, hey, no, why? Because that dude gave me his half hour. It's my turn to give him his. Wow, what an, you know. Um, There's a, (laughs) there was, it's just this beautiful, beautiful way of flowing through and to be part of that process threefold. Because I got there pretty early on. I went through the first circle. Then there was a moment we weren't the best team. We were a high-level team. We just weren't the best team. Then my generation of guys kicked it into gear where guys were winning worlds, we won the IFL world titles, guys were going out, and, and, and then, hey, wait a minute, the Andre Guzmoles, Miami, myself, Jamal Patterson, um, uh, 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 Gregor's a little younger, but Gregor was with uh, Brian Vettel. Uh, I mean, it's just, just, I got, you know, Dice K, Yamji, you know, hey, we had come into our own, then there was a gap where the guys who were promoting it now were kids. Mm-hmm. So then to come back through that synergy where, hey, my last fight I was turning 34 years old, but Nima and Gregor and got Randy Brown's first amateur fight camp was my last fight camp. Wow. Like that's a real yeah. wild way to come through, you know. Ariel Saxon was part of us, who was a big player in 1FC. Um, and then to see them grow, and then to come in. Now, over these last five, six years, not only was our MMA team, and then with Gordon and the Death Squad, and, and Rafael and, and Zed Costa, and these guys coming up, winning Jiu-Jitsu Worlds, winning Nogi Worlds, Winning ADCCs, Nima fighting for the Bellator world title, Randy going out and doing his thing, you know, the the the, the old old guard with the Frankie Eggers and the Eddie Alvarez finishing their careers, Daniel's guys coming. What an amazing way to you know just this 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 flow, which then on my end went from young lion to gatekeeper gatekeeper to old man you know to then i came in and what an amazing moment we're here on high and son henzo's brother high and i because i knew how to wrestle and grapple and i was athletic he, he would grab me as a white crappy white belt and i would die and he would fight and we would go you know but then, you know, I've got a million stories of who Hein is 
what you read about and you know his his eccentricities and you know and I was there with him out in the street where we go okay buddy this is what we're doing we're doing we're doing this you know but when I left his son was maybe 13 just got to New York and I play with him and he's oh, he's a fucking lion and he's a lion and he's going he's he's now huge but at that time you knew you were looking at this kid going oh, this kid's going to be big and uh my son was nothing was 5 years old and I said okay man don't worry you're getting me now but man just remember in 20 years he's going to come after you <laughs> <laughs> and then when I got back when I got back it was a pretty neat moment because I gave him a hug because now he's a world champ. Yeah. He's this 19-year-old stallion of a, of a young man and, you know, and, and he's grown into his body and he was like, hey, do you want to play? I said, no, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> fuck, fuck you. And we laughed about it, but then some of the old-time guys were like, hey, you know, that was your dad's boy here. Hey, not for nothing. Yeah, we laugh. But hey, just so you know that 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 old man there, that ha ha ha. But when your dad was in the city, those guys were were real tight, which was cool. And he came over, and we would talk, you know. And what an amazing life of jujitsu I'm having, you know. And then going back once a year to sit there and play and have fun. I went there the last time. And I get to the door and Hensel's there teaching and he stops teaching and he's laughing and he's, oh man, look, this is Carlos. He runs Hensel Gracie Spain, Puja. My man has been with me 24 years and he's telling this amazing story. And me and Black Rob are sitting there looking at him and, he, and we're looking over this, this class and they're, they're looking. And I said, Hensel, Hensel, that story is about 17, 18 years old. None of these motherfuckers know <laughs> what the fuck you're talking about. You know, and he just looked, he's like, yeah, man, you're right, but it's still a good story. I go, yeah, it's still a good story. <laughs> but the, the legacy continues, doesn't it? It's amazing. It's awesome. Do you feel like a, almost like a weight of responsibility to continue that legacy and how you teach Jiu-Jitsu in your academy? 100%. I, I fully understand that I earned my place on that team and was bestowed the honor of being allowed to fight with his name on my back. I completely, completely understand the shield that I'm going into war with. And my son competed the first time about two weeks ago, and when he decided to train, and I really grilled him. And I told him, I go, you have to understand that it's different for us. I'll never ask you to do what I did. I'd rather you be a doctor, lawyer, Indian chief. <laughs> but if you're going to, even as a young boy, go out and step foot there, you are representing something larger than any of these guys can understand. And it's not any other reason because they, people mistake ignorance for stupidity. Oh, yeah. And it's not the case. My students are 
ignorant to the fact of the responsibility given to me by the man. And that's okay because they're not supposed to know. They're not supposed to know and they're not supposed to understand. It's my job to instill through me to go out and not only represent yourself, our team, but then this legacy. But it's my job to totally make my son understand. If you choose to do this, there is a level of expectancy, a level of of absolutely willingness to do everything possible to go out and defend it to no end. You know, our symbol is a lion. John explained it, and, it's, and I laugh because it's, I, I, you and I have had this conversation. When he speaks, people really look at him as wildly intelligent, and he is. But it's something that is instilled in him, instilled in me through the man. Yep. So when he speaks, we and him are at one. Yep. And he's explaining why a lion in the, in, the, in the open, in the fight of any animal would win and they're going through bite ratio clause and it's simple if a male lion fights a male lion for the pride that lion understands that if he dies his lineage dies because that male lion goes in and kills the cubs and reproduces with him and his dna so that fight is bigger than him. And that's how I had to express it to my son. I push you harder and you don't like it and I'm grilling you and I'm pushing you and training's gonna be harder even as a 10 year old kid because there is an expectancy, not about winning, about going out and knowing when you left the matter, you left the cage or you left the ring that that person will never want to do that again with you. Because of who we are, what we represent, and again, what has been bestowed to us. It was given. We did something to the point where that man grabbed us and said, hey, in six weeks from now, it's your show. Okay. You know, hey, okay. And that's real amongst us because you would, you would get these, you would, this brotherhood bond of, hey, man, all right, Dave. You know, I, I have a saying, that all my best friends from that academy have punched me in my face. And you... Realize when you walk through the cage or you get on that mat how much they loved you for punching you in the face so you are above and beyond prepared because they want you to represent us and him to the fullest. And if that's not love and... I don't know. I don't know how to explain. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm tearing up because I, 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 that, that, to know that that guy next to you 
did it for you, but then you got to go do it by yourself. And then you're not only doing it for yourself, but you're doing it for him because, hey, hey, that that's real. That's that's more than emotion. That's more than 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 buddy. That's more. Hey, and and you know, and and my son won in a minute and thirty seconds by Americana. <laughs> but you know, it's, I mean, I think unfortunately, it's because jujitsu has become so huge now. The connection to lineage is becoming stretched. I think. Do you think that's a danger? That jujitsu loses that connection. I think it's part of the growing process and it becomes it, 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 it's a growing process so it's, it's part of how this part of its life is growing I like to see it play out because I'm not disagreeing with you. There are people who don't either acknowledge where they came from and they are, let's use Gordon. And I don't personally know Gordon. Gordon got to the academy as I was leaving. You know, of that squad, Gary Tonin was in my, he was very young. And I'm not gonna say we're friends, but he was a purple belt starting to blow up as I was leaving that room. Leaving the room meaning I was no longer training at that competition level team. I was there every day, but if, you know, at that 3 o'clock, 1.30, hey, man, if I'm going to go eat a hamburger. <laughs> hey, class was great, but I'm going to, you know. Gordon had been instilled by Tom instilled by Ricardo, instilled by Henzo, personified by John. Gordon, in any interview, that's a burp, excuse me, in any interview, as brash as he is, as cocky, as, as, as brazen as his words will be, there is always a kickback to, to those guys. Yeah. Where right now there's a circle on, you know, I'm, I'm who I am because of who I am. And maybe that's because it's stronger where we come from because we have a center, we have a blue basement. Mm -hmm. Where maybe some of these guys who have become a little nomadic, a little, the, the Japanese term is ronin. Mm -hmm. But those ronin guys to me will never never reached the climax or the peak thinking that way. Because then you're ignoring and not wanting to acknowledge a foundation and a yeah. base. Yeah. But let's see how it plays out. Because there is a large group of guys who have become who they've become and have started their own system, their own schools, which is, is a newer framework, you know, and I just think that's the growth of it as well. Yeah. If I'm explaining that good because you, birds leave the nest, yeah, for sure. you know, and then maybe they 
they want to be, um, I'm Billy Bob and Billy Bob is my system and Billy Bob is who I am. And maybe they're promoting who they are and not really expressing where they're coming from. So it's not coming out. I'd like to see it when it comes a little bit more full circle. That's, that's the basic answer because I, I do see where you're coming from and I do see it. I just wonder because it, it, Jiu Jitsu like in Australia has exploded in the, like, in the oh, yeah. I've been doing this. And it obviously it becomes increasingly isolated from where it started. So the, the, the chain gets longer and longer and longer. And seeing how passionate you are about you know, Henzo's and where you came from, that's hard to replicate when it's maybe five stages removed, you know? Well, I, it, I, if, if it's five stages removed, then that depends to me, my, my idea would have to be on your instructor and who he is and how comfortable he is. You know, here I'm 45, still putting myself out there to show my students what we do, what we teach is real. Maxwell Roy, who you just met, does the same. You know, I'm going to go have a war with another black belt in front of my student. That takes balls mm -hmm. to do. Totally. And to the reason him and I have, have made this bond and this is because we are... I mean, we're talking about being a man podcast, but it has, this really doesn't have to do with a man. You are comfortable enough on who you actually are, man or woman... Mm -hmm. To put yourself in a situation that that guy is trying to take off my ankle in front of my students in my own school and the bell rings and I give him a big hug and say, hey, thanks, because I, need, I needed to feel that to grow. Yeah. And he needs to feel that to grow. Yeah. You can only do that from a place of comfort. Of, of absolute confidence and comfort of who you are. And maybe where things will that's why I said I'd like to see how it grows because if you don't have instructors that have that, that's a major ingredient in the soup. And, and that's where things get a little distorted where, hey, you know, you're not – because now you might be selling something that's not a, a pure product. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're, if you're not in that, that realm of that – then you're not truly reached that level of black belt, of that level of almost zen. Because when you get your black belt, it's just a white belt who never quit is the new quib, but the truth is you're starting over again. Yep. You're not starting from zero, but you're starting over again. Yep. And if you're not, if you haven't walked that, 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 that path and you're missing things when you get to what you think is a black belt, then I could see where you're going to have that lineage issue, that problem issue, that distortion. But to me, that depends on the instructor. Okay. You know, because like, I mean, my, my history of Australian jiu-jitsu is that the black shorts, <laughs> I think I even told you this, yeah. black shorts came to Rio and they took over Rio, and the guys called Hickson and Henzo and, and, the, and the Machados and, and all these guys, and they said, hey, man, there's these bunch of dudes. And uh, they took over our surfing part. And they went out, and they got in on it. 
this is very early on in the life and Hickson and it's more Hickson's story. So I'm sub, sub phrase, sub, what's, the, what's the term? I'm power phrasing. Yeah. And apparently, you know, Hickson in the world is this, this thing and choke here and choke there and an arm was left there. And, and these guys said, hey, what the fuck is this? And, uh, you know, and they, they, they played and when they were done surfing the season. Apparently they went back to, to where they were coming from in Hawaii and then they ended up in, in Australia and then they, they were bringing it and feeding it. And that's, I could be off on that, but that is what I, I have, same with Hawaii, that's why Hawaii has a good yep. crop of jiu-jitsu is because these guys had left and, <laughs> and said, hey man, we learned this shit over there. But no, jiu-jitsu in Australia has been around a hot minute. That I know. It's that the surfing culture you know, is very aligned with jiu-jitsu. And like, yeah. Certainly where, where I live in Western Australia is a surf town. And you see the surfers start jiu-jitsu and they've already got the balance and the hips and everything else. So there's a real kind of alignment there. Well, there's got, I, 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 I started surfing once. <laughs> yeah, I cannot surf and at I, all. Yeah, yeah, I can't surf at all. I tried surfing once, but when you speak, Almeida can surf, Henzo can surf, Nima can surf, Gregor can surf. Fabio Leopoldo is on par as a professional. I mean, he's been he's been posted on like surfing magazines, like you know, and I can totally see the relations on how they are equating catching waves, riding waves, balance to how it translates. I can totally, I I see that synergy, and I can see how that's an easy, easy flow for these guys. Me personally, I just was okay. I'm gonna sit out here on a board. And wait for this wave. Not this bubble, the next one. Not this one. No, this one's oh, this one went bad. Man, it's six in the morning, you know, and I'm not a mor- I'm not a, I'm not a morning person. Um, you know what I'm gonna do? I like you know what? I really like the beach. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna watch you serve as I get sucked in. Yeah. <laughs> but um Yeah, I, I, I you know, I we'll, we'll, like I said, I'm interested in seeing. I'm I'm you know, one of the things now of I am not a true gi player. My jiu-jitsu is actually based around MMA. I was an MMA fighter. Mm-hmm. But I am of the belief that if you use your gi, your no gi gets better. And as much as the new school is, is trying to like uh, say no, 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 I'll always say it. All these gi guys go to no gi and win worlds and go out and do ridiculously well in Abu Dhabi. But none of these no-gi guys can go put on a gi and go, go yeah. win a world. So there's just truth to that statement in that. This guy, and I never met him, but uh, Nicholas Marleggi was a world champion. Yeah. And John talks about him religiously. But here's a guy in six months went out and, and I believe either lost in the final or won his category. And, and he's a world champ jiu-jitsu. Yeah. You know? He won the world's abs- at, ab- open, open and absolute, and, and then went back and I think took silver. Yep. You know, hey, saying he's never trained no gi, because it's just what it is. Hey, man, if you've got a good gi game, it makes you that much smoother. So these type of things of wanting to ignore that almost comes aligned with maybe there is something coming from the old that's not being translated to the new. I don't know. Mm. I just happen to have an amazing guy who was the number one guy in the world who didn't give a fuck. I mean, it's, we, I run a real loose ship. 
And you can find it on YouTube. It's about Henzo's. And Holus Grace, he says, he goes, when I first got here, this place was really hardcore. <laughs> and now we've got set up for everyone to come train here. And Henzo said it. He goes, hey, what I've ended up building here, if you can't be a champion here, it's on you. Yep. Because I got something for everybody. And, and, and maybe there is something lost with, hey, know your values. And... We're new school, where we never had that issue. I never bowed. If Hansel told me bow, I'd bow. Yeah, yeah. But there was never that bow. There was never. I mean, we're talking at a class schedule on. Okay, morning class starts around seven. <laughs> then there's something around uh, ten. And then there's gonna be one around twelve, and then one thirty-ish. And then around 5.30. <laughs> and then we got something around 7. And I remember you'd be rolling, and the mat was never empty. And all of a sudden, John, okay, guys, pass guard, technique, go back and play. And that was class. Hmm. Yet I had been there four hours rolling like a motherfucker, and technically, I've taken two or three classes because then a Sean Williams or a Rodrigo or a, or, a, or a, you know, whoever was there. That's, a great, that's the other thing. It was whoever was there. Who, who's teaching class? I think Sean Williams is here today. <laughs> I think Rodrigo showed up. Um, uh, uh, I think John is here. Um, you know, Matt showed up today. And then Matt would go, okay, guys, come over here. We're going to do this shit over here. <laughs> okay. And then every evening for those, you know, that 5.30-ish, 6.30-ish class till the end, Henzo was there. And then you would just, you know. So, you know, I, I have a real unique experience mm. on that. Because, like I said, like even Maxwell today turned his back to me and tied, and I laughed. He goes, "What are you laughing?" I go, "I never saw that till I got here. I don't know what that is. I don't know what I don't. Well, you know." And then they give me a story, and I'm going, "I I've know this story, but that just wasn't what we were doing there." <laughs> you know, I mean, I, there's, you know, we had hours of backgammon in the corner. Guys would be training. Cards is being. I mean, I don't know how to explain that shit to people. <laughs> you know, like well, you know, like you know, <laughs> you know. Here you got real serious MMA training. You got a private lesson, backgammon. You know, this is because there was no YouTube. There was none of that shit. And, you know, and then all of a sudden you're having the backgammon world champions of the of the of the. You know, it's just it's just wild. You know that that that's. It worked. Two thousand percent, it works. So, it's, it's, it, no, 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 no. You know, it's like the story of the stone soup. That's why he said it's soup. The stone soup where the guy walks into town and says, I'm really hungry. But all I got is this stone. If you can give me a pot and some water, we can heat it up. And the people go, you're going to eat a stone? Yeah, man, you know, the stone. The stone is amazing. But if you throw some carrots, and someone says, yeah, I got carrots. And they throw carrots. Yeah, carrots and stone? Yeah, man, but, you know, if you had some... Uh, you know, if you had some, some, some other vegetables, some peppers or something in there, you could throw it in there. And if you had some, some potatoes, yeah, I got some potatoes. And all of a sudden, this guy has made this stew. And everyone's going, wow, this stone soup is amazing. 
And I always said, no, you know, jujitsu is your stones. That's yeah. your stone. Yeah. The blue basement is your, your, your cauldron, your pot, you know. And then everyone was just throwing in their, their, their vegetable, yeah. their seasoning. Man, if someone had some salt, you know, salt, stone and salt really make, yeah, salt, I, mean, I got some salt. If you put pepper, if you put a little Tabasco, you got, and you have this, and it, it, that's why it worked. But everyone brings their own little ingredient. And I guess Henzo created the environment where people could bring their ingredient. Well, it, 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 the environment was go. My man, come play. Come play. He, that's, I mean, that's this, when people come in, I say, come on, come play. I told you when you yeah, came. Yeah. My man, come play. You yeah. sent me, I'm in Spain, I found your school. My man, let's go, champ, come play. Yeah. I'm pretty positive that's what our first yeah. interaction. Come play. Hey, come play. If you're going to come, you come play. And that's what it's about. And, yeah, I mean, he created just this, this, this amazing... This, this melting pot, this, this, this base, and people just grew and different body types and different mentalities forged different styles. None of us have the same style, which is amazing. And one thing that I'm proud of here, and you've been with us five weeks, nobody here is fighting the same way. Totally. I really, I really noticed that, to be honest, from day one. You know, and now you've played with me and you've seen me play with, with some guys now where you realize I've got a hard power, rolling pin atop with a, a guard that's going to scramble and use my wrestling to, to play. And we have variations of that, but people, no. And, you, you know, you roll with a Drago... That is not a steamrolling kind of kid, no, no. you know. Here he's, he's using his long legs and yeah. his longevity and his elasticity, and he's playing this real wiry. And then you go with Cusco, who's scrunched up, who's rolling, you know. And you got Sadigne, who's this super athletic. And you just you realize, you just go, hey, wait a minute. And that's what the two things as, as an instructor here I took is that philosophy of Henzo, just come and play, but our philosophy is attack, which gets simplified to hands of saying attack, and if it works, you show me it works, it's yours. You know, Joe DRC, the Darsh Choke, is Henzo's sixth black belt. The Darsh Choke is our choke, it's Joe DRC. The big man role, Tsunami role, is Johnny Tsunami, because Tsunami is, you know, a meter and a half by a meter and a half by a meter and a half. You know, like, it's just, and he could be able to trap your arm and hit this roll, hit his hips. He's on time. You're like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> and it just became this, this tsunami roll. So to even have names of techniques coming from students who have cultivated an arm and guillotine, but translating it into their body type, into their system that became a Darce choke. That's pretty wild in itself. And to have an instructor whose family invented the art to call it the name of the student. That's awesome. Hey, man, this is a man's podcast. That's what a man of, of ultra level, because there's not one time that the RC is going to say, no, he ain't the man, it's my move. The RC will tell you. Yeah. I was working on an arming guillotine. Henzo and I were sitting there talking. I went and fought in Japan. I did this variation of the choke. The Japanese announcer said, this is a Darce choke. I looked at Henzo. He said, Henzo, 
I feel uncomfortable. And Hensel says, my man. And right in front of the presenter, he goes, did you see that Darsh choke? <laughs> and the presenter went, yes. Yes, we did. It was an amazing Darsh choke. Yep. Hey, wow, man. But that just shows you how comfortable Henzo is with him. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't need to call it Henzo this or whatever. No. You know, it's, it's, his, it's his gift. Uh, hey, there you go. Yeah. Hey, you, you hit the move. Yeah. And did you see that Darsh choke? There it is. There, there it is. And that, you know, coming back to that, hey, lineage and, and stretching it out. If you don't have an instructor that's as comfortable as that, you know, it's not going to happen. Yeah. I'm comfortable enough to know that, hey, go out and go prove it. Go do it. Go attack. And that's what I want you to do. I want you to attack. I want you to be aggressive. I want you passing. I want you on your bottom moving your hips. How you do it, I don't give a fuck. But you better be attacking. Where John and I simulate. My job is to train you for that moment. And I do a pretty good job of training you for that moment. You were at the last championship. I'm not screaming and yelling. No. I'm going to shout out something if I see it. Dave, I need you to move this arm. Or Dave, hey, he's got it. But hey, the work is done. Yes. Yes. The work is done, and you should be already there. Look at Cusco and draw. I mean, they, they won double gold. Sedigne won gold, you know, just doing what they're doing. And, I mean, with my with Sedigne, I mean, it was pretty simple pep talk. We, he, he's fighting a big, strong guy. And I said, you fight a big, strong guy every day. And he looked at me and goes, yeah, I, I know. I'm with you every day. I go, you think that's me? What's that guy going to do? He looked at me and went like, yeah, there's the pep talk. Then I sit back. <laughs> you just got to move, Sidigna. Hey, control it, you know. You know, that, that's, that's where I'm at. My, now my, my, my second is rolling with Hyen. Hyen had a mastery of controlling these ridiculous explosive scrambles and and there was a one one moment where he left the Kimura out and he says you don't know this move you don't know this move I said oh I know this move man but you know you're for those who don't know Hein Gracie was called the Gracie devil he was as intense as it got uh I mean he did some he was he was google Hein Gracie <laughs> Just, just do your own history on high end. And I'm fortunate enough to have him as a teacher, as a friend, as a training partner. But what I took away from high end, and I use it to this day, he would roll. And then he, he left it open for me. And I realized when he said that to me, he wanted me to take it. So I took the Kimura, and he fights out of it. When he left it there again, I took it. I snatched it. And we rolled out of it. Good, 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 good. And I realized, oh man, he's, he's setting me up that I should be able to find this at 100%. And I do that with every one of my students without telling them. Where I'm just going to move with you. And there's going to be a moment, I did that with you today. There was a moment, we were just moving, but I had your, your arm and I'm dragging you. I said, hey, if you feel this, 
think about it because now I'm actually controlling you where you can only move one way. Yeah, totally. So just understand what's happening to you right now. And I use that to this day, which I feel is the biggest tool on why we don't have the same game. Because I'm adapting. Now, for the record, I will never say I'm the greatest anything black belt in the world. My confidence comes from I'm a Henzo Gracie black belt. And I, as old and as fat as I'm getting, I can walk into any academy in the world and you're going to leave rolling with me knowing that I'm a legit black belt. Yeah. That's where my confidence comes. I have gone on the mat and I've gotten in the ring with serious people. I've beaten serious people. I've lost to serious people. I never claim to be the world's greatest anything, but I know I can hold my own with anybody. And showing that and adapting that with my students is is big part of how I teach when I'm rolling with them. And I just and I'm going to give you my back and I'm going to let you sink the hooks and I'm going to hey because if you tap me and I'm defending on just pure technique and you're going 1,000 miles an hour hey great you got it. I take it as wow I'm a pretty good teacher because you got that pretty good. Mm-hmm. You got that technique down where, where you got it in and I, I, I didn't have a chance to defend it. I'm giving it to you and I should be good enough to get a hand in or to get a leg out or to poof out. But just me movement and you be, hey, great. Because that means you're learning. Yep. It means you're adapting. It means you're understanding what the situation is and how you're going to grab it, how you're going to hold it. Hey, And that to me... Is, is a big learning, and I thank Hein all the time for that. I think of Hein all the time. I mean, he was just on another level, man. He, I got stories, but like I said, like, you know, <laughs> I could, him, and, him and yesterday's podcast, Gus, were, were Sith Lords. There was just shit that you'd go, <laughs> fuck, Hein. So Damn. thinking about where your academy today, you've got lots of young men in your academy. Yeah. Do you feel like a weight of responsibility to, to, to help them kind of be better young men? Because I see the respect they have for you. And you look at someone like Drago, who I don't know, obviously, from a bar of soap, but I can see the respect he has for you. Well, well Drago, Drago came in with, it, with, with teenage problems. And by just, hey, you better come. You come and you train. And if a day you come here and you're a little off your rocker from whatever you were doing, we're going to give it to you. I'm not going to tell you not to do what you're doing, but every day you come here, I'm going to give it to you. And that was my way, because Drago's been with us now, let's say a year and a half. And that's why I waited so long to give him his blue belt. He, won, he finished third at Europeans, white belts, you know, he was winning. But there would be days that he would come and I'd say, mm-hmm. Oh, hey, 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 how you doing? You know, uh, you know, go roll with uh, Spartacus today. And Spartacus is a man-man, and Spartacus, oh, and Spartacus speaks Russian. You know, and he would know, I can't come in. I can't come in like this because I'm getting fucked up. And that's how we started changing Drago little by little and then you I do it with my kids classes and I do it with my guys 
you have real subtle conversations. Cusco's haircut. On the surface, we're breaking his balls. But I'm telling him, Cusco, there's a point that now you're going to be 17, 18 years old. You just can't walk around looking like that. <laughs> In the joke of the sense is ready. You're going to be start representing yourself. You're going to present yourself. And if me as somebody looking at this shitty ass fade in your haircut, that don't fly. Hey, present yourself. Because if that's what you present yourself, then I'm going to look at you like you don't give a fuck about yourself. So fuck you. Why I got to show you that respect? Because I don't got to respect you for shit. Because yep. look at your fucking haircut. I know, but it's, you know, and you hear him. And we sent him to the barber. And that's, you know, in Cusco. Cusco is coming out of his shell. Hey, man, he's a kid who was a homebody. Mm -hmm. Hey, come here. Hey, my grandmother, let me train. You tell your grandmother, come here. I'll talk to your grandmother. So with my, with my young men like that, with the guys who are in their 20s, the change of Sergio. I've had Sergio when he was 20, where he athletic. Okay, okay Sergio, what, what are we doing? Just, just tell me what you're doing. You know, he has a, 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 he's a devout Muslim. And he would tell me, oh, inshallah, God willing. And I told him one day, I said, hey, God willing is waking you up every day. And through your faith, he's going to give you options that you're going to choose with your faith to make the best optional choice. But if you're waking up in the morning and waiting for God to make this choice for you, you're not going to move forward. Mm. And if you believe that that's what God wants for you, then no problem. But I'm telling you, he's waking you up every morning. Yep. He gave you his blessing, his choice. And he would fight me on that. And then one day he, I, I just... He looked, and I said to him, I go, what are we doing? I go, because you're 28 now. What are we doing? And I said, do me a favor. When you wake up in the morning, go make it happen for me. Just do it for a month. Make it happen for me. Come in. And a little bit now he's got his own personal training business. He's got his clients. Mm -hmm. he's, got, he's looking for his own space. He's waking up. He's become an amazing competitor. Where before it was, well, I train, inshallah, compete, inshallah. No, my man. Yep. You, 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 man. He's putting you here to do it. Yep. He's giving you this opportunity. It's on you. Hey, come on, train with me when you're here. Yep. Hey, and now you're going out and you are smashing people. I, I don't feel it's my responsibility to badger them, but as a coach and as somebody, I got Zach. You know, we talked about it a little bit yesterday. You know, hey, Zach was a guy, and he, he was doing, he's flown. And Zach's got to the point that he is a major player in the security industry of Repsol Chemical, where, where they got rid of the company that he worked for, but they had to hire Zach to get this contract. That shows you the respect they mm -hmm. got for Zach. Because he's a solid worker, solid guy, solid young man.
who would sit there and go, and, I, and we'd go, okay, man, but listen, man, you, you're looking at it this way. Check it out through this way. And that's how I try to do it with them. And, and, and my kids' classes, what I really emphasize is the kids like to say, uh? I say, I don't speak, uh. <laughs> and they look at me. And I tell the parents, you don't speak, uh. I said, because uh is the first word out of your mouth. They're going to think he's stupid. And you don't want people thinking you're stupid. And they look at me like I'm crazy. But then what ends up happening is the parents who've actually stayed see the difference with the new kids coming in. I don't accept you can't do it. Because here in Spain, it's hostia, it's difícil, oh, más o menos. Yo puedo, pero es difícil. With the translations basically saying, I don't know, it's really hard. I'll, I'll try to do it. If I can't do it, it's because it's hard. And, oh, man. And, it, and no. No, I'm not going to accept that. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to accept that. What I do with the kids, I make sure you shake my hand, you look me in the eye. That's a cultural thing that's not here, and I don't know why, but hey, come here. No, no, no. And I line them all up at the end of class, and we look at each other. Hey, great job today. Hey, work on this. Hey, mm -hmm. great. Hey, look at Hey, good. And we give our hug. And we, hey, all right. And, and when they were doing their little fight camps and it was all over and, hey, make sure you, you shake your hand. You give a hug because this is the guy that's getting you ready. That's my responsibility. Pushing them in that way in a real nudge, loving nudge. Mm -hmm. Because I want everyone to maximize who they possibly are. Yep. You know, I, I want everyone to, to, to do the best they can do. Just on me hoping you, you know, hey, hey, listen, you're traveling and you're going to Miami and I'm going to call Big Sexy for you so you can have a place to train. He's my friend. I want you to train. You're going to go to Atlanta. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call, call Odyssey. Hey, man, I got a guy coming. Hey, take care of my man. You're going to go to Brooklyn. We're calling, we're calling Dice K. We're calling Ruskin. We're, we're, we're calling uh, uh, Saxon and going, hey, Tarzan, listen, take care of my man. I want you to have these things, and I want all of them to have it. I don't want things to hold them back on nonsense. Mm -hmm. But like you said yesterday, it doesn't matter what you do, just be the best at it. Be the best at what you can do. Yep. And, and that's how I do it with, with Drago. And then with Barbie. You know, Barbie is a Ukrainian refugee who's a national under-16 wrestler for Ukraine. And she's going through this hard time. And here's this young girl who's having her first boyfriend in Cusco. And we joke and we laugh. And it's good to have this young, but it's your first one. And you're with adults for the first time. Yeah. And she's been a unique experience because she's a woman. She's a girl who's growing up. And now it's the first time with adults. And she's going... You know, men are, t these guys are talking about going out and getting drunk, and drinking is bad. Yeah, I'm not telling you to drink, but I really don't care if Dave <laughs> and Gypsy are going to go get hammered tonight because one day you're going to realize that it's okay. It's not a bad thing to do. Don't do it every day. You know, Socrates, everything in moderation. Yep. Well, you know, they, and there was uh, drugs. Well, Barbie, look, <laughs> here's how this works. But 
our first growing with Barbie, she was here a month, and I said to her, I said, okay, you've gotten here. I've, we've got you in a wrestling, because I know wrestling guys here. Good friend of mine, Guillermo, we call him Jimmy Conway, national wrestling team member, hooked her up with uh, Victor, who's another wrestling team member in his club. So she's got a wrestling club. She's done her wrestling tournaments. She's, she's here. And I sat her down. I said, hey, look, it's got to be tough, your situation. But we're going to talk as adults. Mm-hmm. For your situation, you're in a pretty good situation. So you got to start looking at it that way. You happen to find an American guy who knew how to wrestle. You happen to find a town that has a competition team. So you're able to compete. Yep. Maybe not in your sport, but a sport. Yep, similar. Kind of similar. And you're not going to lose any time. But now I got to go get you schooling. And we got her into, into my kid's school. And we got her then transferring into, because she's actually very intelligent. We got her into a school called the International, where we made some switches. We've got guys who are alumni there, and they just life. Mm-hmm. And I started telling her, I go, it's not about getting straight A's here because you're learning a new language, reading and writing Catalan and Spanish. It's about getting educated. It's about getting smart. You're going to use this time to get smart. You're not using this time to go, I'm going to be a straight A. No, 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 no. Get this experience and get smart. Hey, let's, 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 let's grow you that way, you know? And she's lucky that she has a Drago who speaks Russian. And it's lucky that I go like this. Drago's brother goes to that school. So I said, now, you're pissed off at Russia, but yet every day you're with... Mm. A Russian family that's taken to one of the best schools in this area. Your training partner's Russian. Yep. Hey, then you, here's a wild way to look at life. Is the Russian people your enemy or is there something behind that? Now, I'm not going to get into politics and into war. And I'm definitely not going to get into that with a patriotic 15 or 14-year-old girl but hey, that's a wild way to think it when you've got an American guy, when you're living in Spain and your training partner's Russian, who this kid doesn't even care what's going on in Russia because he's actually a Spanish-Russian. But hey, you can speak similar native tongue. And she, you know, that's how I'm guiding my youth right now. But that's the beauty of jiu-jitsu. And the sport in general with jiu-jitsu, I think it's more, I don't know, intense. It doesn't matter whether someone's your enemy, you know, inverted commas, yeah, on yeah. the mats, you know, we're just, we're doing jujitsu and that's what matters. And that's what matters. Yeah. And Go, like, I, yeah wherever I, I've gone in the world doing jujitsu, I've found a hundred percent of people friendly, welcoming, and just, you, you have this jujitsu in common and that's what matters. Well, you know, in, you're going to find it in wrestling, judo, boxing or Muay Thai kickboxing, whatever you, let's say striking. Because it keeps you honest right off the bat. Mm-hmm. It just keep. we don't think about tapping as tapping, but that man submitted you. Mm. And if you actually look at what submission is and hey, that's a humbling experience. hundred percent. But because you are being humbled 
and you have your chance to do the humbling and jujitsu has that adage of sometimes you're the hammer and sometimes mm-hmm. you're the nail <laughs> striking arts have that these things that you have to put it to the test at a pretty real situation changes who you are 100 percent. and and you know, you, you, you know there's always going to be a bigger shark. And you also know? I think, yeah, because jiu-jitsu is so hard, it's kind of self-excluding for people who've got a big ego because they just don't last. Because you're going to, particularly when you start, get smashed so much that if you're somebody who's really egotistic, yeah, you're, you're still going to hang around, aren't you? Yeah, either you, you with what they call lose and learn. Yeah. You're going to lose, you're going to learn. If you can't learn it, then it's going to be super difficult. Um, but it works almost like a filter. So the people you get left with have had... Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, 100%, 100% what's actually left. The sediment that is left is pure. Mm. Yeah. Well, tooth, okay, in, 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 that, in that context, when you're straining the spaghetti... <laughs> <laughs> Two thousand percent. What is left is some of the most amazing individuals that you're gonna come across because every story is different, everyone's different, why you're here is different, what's going on. Yet this common denominator of jujitsu, this humbling sport, and and yeah, two thousand percent. And you're 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 meeting people at their their most most basic common who they are yep. no matter what yep and it doesn't matter why because if jiu-jitsu is good or your jiu-jitsu is shit there's the denominator that's it <laughs> well you know i think that's a fantastic place to kind of to, to, to end it there i reckon hey man i hey, listen i had an amazing time with you buddy it was awesome having you here it's always good to have someone who speaks english <laughs> <laughs> And I hope you said it the other day that you had a good time. I, oh, I, I, fantastic! I think you, 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 you came in, and it was just pure synergy. You saw we had a good time, and I'm happy that you're at a point in your life where you're going to have yeah. some moving and shaking yeah. and seeing and doing. And um, if you ever want to talk again, podcast, yeah. no podcast. Ah oh, man, I'm 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 always up. Yeah, look, I, look, you know, from the heart. For the last four weeks, it's been fantastic to have this new home. I thank no. you. I thank you from the bottom of my heart, and uh, it's been amazing. You've got a fantastic school here. Like I said to you, I've never been anywhere where there's so much laughter, <laughs> and that's well, you, so important. Yeah, you know, you you yes, this yeah. shit's supposed to be fun. You know, two thousand percent. When when you. But man, I, I look at it, like I said, I, I, I come from a place where that's how it was, and I expressed that. And, you know, hey, man, you know, you, you, we always laugh. This is, this is your family, you know, and we have a saying. I may be crazy. No problem. I've accepted. But crazy finds crazy. Yeah. And you found me, so you have to look at yourself. <laughs> Definitely. And once that, that insight to yourself, then you realize, hey, wait a minute, this crazy motherfucker's right. <laughs> I'm putting on pajamas. I'm going to go fight. You know, and, and, you know, and, and, and I mean, 
to have moments of absolute, what the fuck just happened to me? Hey, nice move there. I'm glad you're, you know, you thought that worked? You know, hey, <laughs> what, what is your name? My name is, yeah, your name is George. My name is not George. Well, <laughs> brother, I'm never going to remember it. It is and now. Then, but it is now. Yeah. Like, I talked to Drago's mom, and it's Mikal, Mikul, I don't know, and I can show you text messages. Drago fights at 9.30. So when should Mikal leave? Mikal can leave with us, <laughs> right? You know, or Drago's coming. You know, Barbie, you know, Cusco, these things, and it keeps yeah. things fresh. It yeah. keeps things, and, and I mean, I... I I run a real loose ship. I want everyone here to feel comfortable and happy and everyone breaks balls. No one's, no one's immune to it, you know? And uh, you come and you train and you that's play it. and that's what it is here. That's it. Well, it's a simple philosophy. And I'm glad you, for your brief time in your life, had that experience because I, I had a good time having you yeah, and it was awesome. fantastic. I've really enjoyed training here it's been great to talk to you I thank you for your generosity of your time oh and, man uh, thank you hey we'll do it again another time so thank you brother anytime anytime thank you thank you awesome